Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of About to Review. I'm your host, that guy named John, and I'm recording live from the Seattle Indie Expo here in Seattle, Washington. This expo focuses on indie developers and gamers. Uh, we have been running around like crazy people. Uh, I'm here with Steve, from who has been on the episodes before, Steve Blog. He is around here somewhere. We got separated. This is not even a large like performance hall type area and we got separated already so i lost him but uh i'm going to try and find some developers some creators some artists to talk to about their games and give them a little bit of a spotlight so there we go that was the intro to this episode that is probably going to be chopped up all sorts of crazy with various interviews so i hope you enjoy and again recording live from the seattle indie expo all right so i found one of the producers of this glorious event, the Seattle Indie Expo, and I'm sitting down with Tim Cullings. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you. Hi, welcome. Or thank you. <laughs> Either one of those. Little, is uh, yeah. <laughs> little tired. A little tired, yeah. You've been a little busy the past few months, maybe, getting this ready? Yeah, definitely. So tell me about this expo. Like, how long have you guys been going on? Uh, so this is actually six, number six. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Uh, I've personally been involved for the last two years now, and uh, just it's grown even from last year from where we were, just the amount of people and the amount of just number of people that want to show games here. Uh, the word seems to be getting out, and people seem to be having a great time, so that's all we can really ask for. Absolutely. So do you have an idea? You probably do. Silly question. How many creators and developers have games here this year? Uh, we have 25 games. Uh, that's what we've had for the last three years here at okay. six. Nice. And so that number has grown the past couple years, just kind of, or do you guys kind of cap it at 25? 25 is about the number that we can hold in this venue. Okay. Uh, so 20 of the games are Seattle local, and then five of them are from just around the country, uh, Portland, one nice. guy's from Canada. Okay. So another guy came from all the way from Texas. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is definitely a trek to do uh, an indie expo like this, which is awesome that yeah. you guys were able to kind of bring in people like that. Yeah. We had people from, like, the East Coast last year, so wow, people travel pretty far to just to come, I mean, mainly for PAX, but also to get a chance to exhibit here mm-hmm. and network with the local indie developers. Excellent. So how did you get involved with Six? Are you a game developer yourself? Uh, I was working for a company called Airtight Games that doesn't exist anymore. Okay. (laughs) Uh, We were making a game on the Ouya console called uh, Soulfjord, and Ouya felt really indie to me, and our team really wasn't into the indie space. We had more like a higher-level sort of development background, Mm -hmm. and so I was wanting to sort of connect with indies in the area to find out, like how they work and how they do things and just uh, by going to a few meetups here and there I just found my people really like met a whole bunch of really awesome developers and got inspired hanging out with them because they're so passionate and like just working so hard and trying to make this thing with like little to no funding and just all on their own dime and their own time and you like want to just like get involved and help them like exhibit and have spaces like this to show off their game and let the public come try it out and get the word out about it. Absolutely. And that is the thing is 
expos like six i think are crucial because again there are certain developers who by one reason or another cannot really go to those bigger expos those bigger conventions nationwide yeah and you guys give them the opportunity to showcase their game in a space that is packed yeah i mean there are do you have an idea of how many people there are uh at the moment probably uh two to three hundred throughout the day we've probably had close to a thousand people come through i would say yeah it is crazy in here yeah and so giving these indie developers some of which are local large percentage are local the chance for not only to show their game to give people a chance to play their game to sit down really get into it and to have the developer right there next to you talking about the game yeah i think is awesome so i'm really glad that you take that opportunity to give them that chance yeah, I mean, PAX is like more of a place to go sell your game. This is a place about the people that make the games. Like, this is a chance for the developer to, you know, let watch people play their game, give them feedback, and get a lot of good one-on-one time with their with players, and you know, establish that rapport and the relationship with people who might be interested in buying their game down the road or supporting them as an indie developer. You know, it help, just helps them build that community even more. And that is, I think that is the biggest thing with an event like this is that sense of community, is getting gamers together, creators together, writers, artists, developers. You truly do feel like it is a community. Totally. I mean, that's our goal with the event and also with the Seattle Indies meetup groups that we do just to build that sense of community that, you know, we're all here to help each other and, you know, we want to... We all want to help each other succeed in whatever way we can, really. Absolutely. So you mentioned the Seattle Indies Meetup. Mm-hmm. Tell a little bit about that. Give some plugs. Where can people find that? How often do those things happen? Uh, we have pr- fairly regular meetups every month, more than one. Uh, you can find it on Facebook, uh, the Seattle Indies Group, uh, meetup.com. Just look for Seattle Indies on there. We post all the meetups there. And uh, Seattle Indies com I believe is the website okay uh, so you can find all the information about the different events that we do uh, we do social events where we just get together and hang out uh, we do sometimes we'll do like talks from different local developers will come give a talk about oh, nice. stuff that they've worked on uh, and we have uh, some more like critical like a uh, critique circle that happens once a month where people bring in development games and People will play them and give feedback on them. They're usually like really early stage games, but right. it's feedback from developers by developers usually that'll really like help people hone their game and make it better. That seems like that. That seems to be an invaluable tool. Like if you are a local indie developer, even not local Seattle, but you know indie developer having access to professional game developers yeah. to just sit down and talk through your game is huge. Yeah, and we get people from all levels that come to the meetups. I mean, we'll get a few AAA guys that are in wow. the area that, that'll come out, people from Bungie or mm-hmm. yeah, 343 yeah. three, once in a while. Those guys will show up. And then, you know, we'll have kids just out of DigiPen that are just trying to, like, find their way into the industry and make, you know, new connections and try new things. So it's a really good range of people that come out and hang out at these meetups. Excellent. And are coming together and, you know, making cool stuff. Fantastic. So it is the Seattle Indies Meetup on Facebook. Sounds like you guys have Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Um, So where can people kind of get the most information on the festival or on the expo as far as when they should enter for next year, enter their game? Where can people find that? 
uh, either on our Facebook or Twitter. We'll make announcements uh, probably early, early next summer, like end of spring, around early June. We'll announce that we're accepting applications for six. Uh, this year we had about 43 entrants, I think. Wow. For six, and we go through a pretty intense judging process. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had like 20 people sign up to be jurors this year, and everybody plays five games and gives their feedback on it and, you know, votes if they would a thumbs up or thumbs down, basically, to okay. show it at the show. And uh, whoever gets, like, the best percentage of votes, the top 25, that's what we pick to show at the show. But we Fantastic. also provide, you know... Pretty detailed feedback, and the jurors are typically developers themselves. Nice. Who will give pretty detailed feedback on what they liked and didn't like about the game and what they would change. So we find that the entrants tend to find that pretty valuable information since, you know, they at least know that somebody played their game and it didn't just get filed in like a bit bucket <laughs> somewhere and nobody yeah. looked at it and we just randomly picked the 25 games that we liked the best. Yeah. So all of the developers, all of the people in that judging circle spend time. You know, yeah, they played definitely. the game. They gave it a chance. Yeah. And they, yeah. Because, I mean, I'm sure that there are some developers out there who have that sense of, okay, I submitted my game to somebody, and I have no idea what happened. Right. So the fact that you guys give them a report card, it sounds like. More or less, yeah. So that, yeah. And, it, again, a really great tool for all of the indie developers out there. Yeah. We hope it's useful. I mean, most people, the feedback has been positive on the feedback, so... <laughs> Excellent. It's been good, yeah. Oh, great. So, again, Seattle Indie Expo. Uh, Tim Cullings is one of the producers. And, yeah, I highly encourage people to, to come and check it out next year. Now, do you guys hope to make it a multi-day festival in the future? Uh, I think next year we might have it at a bigger venue, if anything. Okay. It's usually the Sunday of PAX weekend uh, when people have kind of seen a lot of packs already and they're right. maybe looking for something a little more relaxed a little uh, mm-hmm. a place where you can come and actually play the game and not have like sensory overload that you get a, on the big show floor at right. packs so uh, we're trying to create a good environment here not that we need to bribe anyone but there has been free food and free non-alcoholic and alcoholic beverages so that is another benefit yeah <laughs> definitely you, you will not find that at packs uh, right. very no, often not really so for that reason alone, come out, check out some indie developers. And again, you have the chance to talk to the developer. You have a chance to talk to the artist, the composer sometimes. So uh, yeah, I highly encourage people to do that. Thank you, Tim, for sitting down and talking about the festival. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I keep calling it a festival. Expo, I apologize. Same thing. So, <laughs> so Seattle Indie Expo. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so another interview, another person in my awesome studio in the back of a warehouse. So I'm sitting down with Tony Yang, who's here with his game, Gravistar. Welcome, Tony. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So tell me about this game. So uh, basically the inspiration for the game was all the old school JRPGs that we had. Like, you know, the Chrono Triggers, the old school Final Fantasies, Xenosaga... You know, Secret of Mana, all of those games that, like, kind of we haven't really been seeing a lot of recently. And, but we kind of wanted to also bring something fresh to the scene. And so mm-hmm. we decided to bring in the grand, like, epic storylines of a JRPG, the turn based battle system of JRPG, but incorporate a bit of fight mechanics into a JRPG where it's like 
every time you attack, you can get a certain amount of time to like execute combos, build up uh, what we call uh, special points, and mm-hmm. you can take those special points and execute special attacks. So nice. that sort of stuff. So, and the combo system seemed unique. So when I was watching the game, it seemed like, so there was like a pop-up, and you have to do kind of uh, different actions with the buttons to release that combination. Yeah, so like, you know, there's like, like in a standard fighting game, there's like quick attacks or low attacks, high attacks. So we've modeled that like into our fighting system as well, where you can execute a quick attack, uh, high attack, uppercut, whatever. And, you know, they'll do different things varying depending upon your enemy. Like we actually have a flying type enemy called the Grindel Wasp. If you try to quick attack, that's a very like low, like short reach attack. Right. And this is a flying enemy, so you're just going to like whiff. And there's like a very satisfying like whiplash sound that happens with that. <laughs> right. And so you know, you have to like do like either an uppercut or like a high slash attack. Mm-hmm. Or you can take all those special points you built up and execute um, what we call the spiral vortex, which you yes. can hear in the game, which has a Japanese voiceover. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so yeah, so you take those and you just like, you know, have to come up with varying ways to figure out how to defeat your enemies. Yeah, because at one point there were like meteors flying down on the screen. Someone did some sort of combo. Yeah, so actually that one is actually the magic in the game. It's not part of the uh, standard attack combos where uh, on the screen it pops up a prompt that says like, oh, you need to press like YA, YYB or something like that. And that'll cause, uh, if you successfully input that, then you call down the, like, all these meteors to hit all your enemies and like, take down half their health in one go. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. The graphics in this were really slick. And actually, one of the things that I liked about it that will probably not be in the finished product, but if it was, I would be cool with it. <laughs> but during the attack mechanics, like during the attack sequences, yeah. it still had the kind of framework, like the drawn-out oh. framework. Yeah. Which to me, like, I thought that was really cool because it reminds you, someone drew that. Like, someone put a pen to pencil, put a pen to paper, or on a you know wake home tablet or something. Oh, yeah. But that was really cool to see, even if it was only during those those animations. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, we're still a little bit early in the development cycle, so there's still a lot of animation to like final, like get final mat and mm-hmm. like just kind of finish out. But yeah, I mean, it is like all of the stuff is like hand-drawn animation. Like our artist is like doing a lot of tough work just to like get even our idle animation to look like as smooth and amazing as it is now. Yeah, yeah. like just uh, four months ago, we were sitting on everything was line-drawn animation. Yeah. Wow, four months ago. Yeah. Yeah. So like, it's a lot of work to get like all of the UI, all of the like hand-drawn animations in. We actually didn't even have the Grindel Wasp, and he busted that out in a week. <laughs> when, when did that come out? Uh, that was, like, three weeks ago. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like, we didn't even know what it was going to be up until four weeks ago when we made the decision, this is kind of what we want the thing to be. Yeah. That is, and again, the pioneering spirit of the indie developer like yourself yeah. to recognize that you have an event coming up in four weeks, and you're like, uh, we should do this thing. And then it yeah. went from idea to drawn to then animated. Yeah. It's is pretty incredible. Yeah, and it does help that, like, everyone I work with is, like, super awesome. Like, mm-hmm. our artist, our sound designer, like, the composer that we contract out to, the other programmer on the team, we're all, like, 
you know, working on this together, and like everyone's super good at their job, so it like makes it a whole lot easier for us. When are you planning to roll it out? Are you still in some early beta right now? So uh, we're working towards our vertical slice, uh, trying okay. to get like a really solid like battle system and a little bit of our overworld out there uh, by next iFest. So that's going to be next May. Next May. Yeah. Um, from there, we're going to like basically figure out our like. You know, basically the roadmap to completion. So we're going to hit our first. Uh, we're going to attempt to hit our first episode in the coming years, uh, but we don't have any solid plans of that yet. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So so far, the game looks incredible. What would you say you are most proud of with the game at its current stage? Um. Basically, the reception that it's been getting, like everyone's been saying really positive things about it. It seems like you know it really appeals to a lot of the crowd, even if they aren't actually into JRPGs. And yeah, just like the idea that we created something that people enjoy, and they're not just like, oh, this is the rehash of some old thing right. that we've seen before. Yeah, it is some, something different. Yeah, it is something different. Even if they have played this style of game before, yeah. there are unique elements to it. Yeah, and just like that people are coming up and saying, like, this is what's been missing. Like, awesome. thank you for making it. Yeah, That has to be the most satisfying feeling as a game developer. Oh, yeah, especially because like before you ever demo at a show, you know, you think you have this great idea. And you're like, yeah, I have this great idea, and I'm totally making this game. And people <laughs> right? are like, oh, yeah, sure, you're uh-huh, making sure, a great buddy. game. Yeah. But then once you demo it and get that validation, people are like, yeah, this is a great game. And you're like, all right, we did something right. Yeah, fantastic. So where can people find you online? Where can people find the game? Where can they get updates? If you go to gravastargame.com, you can find and- it there. And uh, you can follow us uh, at Studio Atma on Twitter. Studio Atma on Twitter? Yes, A-T-M-A. A-T-M-A. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, the game is Gravistar. It looks tremendous. At this point, there are a few different playable levels from kind of what I saw, or a few different kind of playable scenarios. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, basically, it's just com- going to bring a few waves at you, just get you used to the battle system, and then, you know, we'll take it from there and bring what we, like, we're going to add to the game, to iFest. Sounds great. Well, thank you, Tony, for coming down to the studio all the way across the the hall and oh, sitting yeah. down, which I'm glad I actually gave you the opportunity to sit down. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Okay, everybody, so I managed to wrangle one of the creators over to my makeshift studio, and by makeshift studio, I mean two chairs in the back of the room. Right behind the chips and dip. Yeah, literally right behind the chips and dip. So introduce yourself, sir. Hi, my name is Matthew Moore, uh, and I am the owner slash main designer for Do Better Games, though I also have done work on other things that you may have heard of. I work at Disney Interactive on Marvel Avengers Alliance titles and at ArenaNet on Guild Wars and Guild Wars 2. But in my spare time, I like to work on indie games like Uh Bring Your Own Book. Bring Your Own Book. Now, this sounds very familiar. Uh, So I got the chance to actually play the game tonight at the Seattle Indie Expo, and this is a great party type game, an interactive game in which you play with, you said between three and eight people? Yeah, three and eight is what we recommend. Okay. Yeah. And there is a mobile version and also a a physical hard copy. Right. So we kickstarted the game actually in early 2015, 
Uh, and we produced what was sort of our, like, the dream for what we wanted the game to be, which was this card game in a lovely, like, textured book box. Yes. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. My artist, Luke Nalker, yes, uh, did an amazing job on it. We even did, like, letterpress posters of the card back because I oh, was wow. so in love with the art. Um, then we licensed the game to GameRight, the guys who do like Forbidden Island and right. Rory's Story Cubes, and they made a retail edition of the card game. And then what we're showing off here is actually the very first public demo of the app, which is coming out in about a month, uh, in October of this year. Um, and it's exciting because now people will be able to play Bring Your Own Book like anywhere, which is incredible. So, like the tell me about the differences, kind of briefly. Is the gameplay the same on both models? Um, yeah, basically. I mean, the, the one thing that's always hard with a digital port is trying to include as much as you can do with a physical version. So, I mean, like, tabletop games are great because you can have house rules like crazy. And people right. have told us all about their house rules. They're of like, the same game? Uh, of Bring Your Own Book. They're awesome. like, oh, well... You say to start the timer after somebody gets one. We just start it right away. Or oh, we wow. found a new 30-second timer. 60 is too easy. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, whatever. So, like, we had to include a lot of those things in the app to mm -hmm. allow people to adjust it to their experience. Okay. Yeah. So, speaking of gameplay. Oh, yeah. How does someone play this game? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the very first step of Bring Your Own Book is the title. Uh, right. every, everyone in the game needs a book. And mm -hmm. it, it can be literally anything. I mean, it can be romance, sci-fi. It can be nonfiction. A lot of people have actually told us that playing with cookbooks is amazing. Okay, uh, that, that sounds <laughs> incredible. And just based on some of the, the questions of the game, right. I think the cookbook would be fascinating. So, so, yeah, with the questions, kind of how is the game structured? So the game is structured in it's structured in rounds, and what it is is that during a round, someone will select a prompt, and the prompt can be any number of things. The prompt can be like a pickup line mm -hmm. or an item found on a police report or right. like famous <laughs> last words. Mm -hmm. Some of my favorites are, this is the way the world ends. Nice. Uh, I think probably my all-time favorite is uh, something you could hear Arnold Schwarzenegger say. Oh, boy. Uh, that one's one of my favorites. Because okay. that one's basically all in how you sell it, right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's also partly the content. But my favorite all-time one of that is my wife found it. I don't even remember what book it's from. Mm -hmm. But it is Arnold Schwarzenegger says, tell me everything you know about the Chicago Symphony. <laughs> and I'm like, "That's I want to see that movie. Oh, yeah. That, that would be... Incredible, and I think one of the best things about this game, both the the hard copy and the digital version, yeah. is playing with any type of book. So whether it yeah. is a sci-fi, romance, cookbook, and even a comic book. Comic books, absolutely. We had um, I, I found out that the the people from the Poll, mm -hmm. uh, which is a show on Geek and Sundry, were using it with their comic book guests, and they would take whatever the, were the latest releases and they would play. Bring your own book with comics. Uh, it was fantastic. I actually did a series of doing the same thing on our social media where mm -hmm. I would highlight comic creators and the text that comes out of... Because there's great writing there. I mean... Absolutely. Great words come from anywhere. And I think that's part of what the game really wants to capture is there's great text in everything. Yeah. And it's useful for more than just, like, conveying a story. Like, we can appreciate these words as words, you know? Mm-hmm. And not only words as words, which yeah, yeah. is very eloquent, uh, <laughs> incredibly well said, but also just within this gameplay model, yeah. 
the type of creativity is phenomenal because again, as you're flipping through when some when a topic comes up, you know, like famous last words or something, and right. you have a cookbook and you're like, and a dash of cinnamon. <laughs> you know, or something like that. So you have to be creative. And right, the, like that was the secret recipe. Exactly. I was, that was Colonel Sanders' last gift to the world. Cinnamon. And a dash of cinnamon. <laughs> so with games like this, so is the app, what is the cost of the app once it launches next month? Uh, so we haven't priced the app yet. Um, we are definitely going to go with a model similar to what we've done for the board game, which is... The board game, you can actually go and get a free print-and-play download on our okay. website. Like and a so PDF, just kind of... Yeah, and it's okay. got three sheets, and it's enough to start trying out the game. And so very similarly, we're going to release the app in a like free demo mode. Nice. So you can just try it out. Because, I awesome. mean, everybody should be able to sample it and get the idea for Bring Your Own Book. If you want all of the prompts and game modes and all the adjustability stuff, We'll sell it for some reasonable amount. I, I mean, we're, right. we're ballparking somewhere around like $5, uh, where it's like... Absolutely worth it. Yeah, it's worth it. It's not outrageous. I mean, I, I, I can't price it for free, like, completely, because right. I have to pay for, like, my programmer, and right. I'd love to pay my artists, and, uh, you know, one day I would like to be able to go to a convention and have it not cost me personally money. Right. Imagine that. Yeah. I think that is kind of the dream of a lot of indie developers. Exactly. <laughs> so I can't make it like a free-to-play game with microtransactions or anything. Right. It'll be like it'll be like four or five bucks. And so if they want the physical copy, yeah, the physical where do they copy. go? All right. So there are two physical copies actually. Yes. There's the uh, the one that we made for our Kickstarter, which mm-hmm. we still have a limited number of copies of. That you can get at our website, bringyourownbook.com. Okay. Um, and then we also have the Game Right edition. Uh, Game Right publishes it, and that you can buy at like any game store and a lot of bookstores as well. Like you can get it at Barnes and Noble, and you can get it online at which is whatever game store you like. And it's huge. Oh yeah, I, I mean I, that is massive for for an indie game developer to <laughs> get a deal like that and to get your product, which you worked so hard oh. at, out there in the world. It, it was a big deal for us. I think in large part because. We never saw Bring Your Own Book as something that was going to, like, make us rich. We always right. saw it as something that we wanted to, like, get out there and give to as many people as possible. And so getting game rights to say, hey, man, we'll distribute that was like, thanks. Now I don't have yeah. to go and, like, make a million contacts. Right. I can just <laughs> trust you to, like, put it in schools and libraries yep. and, you know, I, across the country. And, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see where they take it. In particular, I'm hoping that the um, they they've been looking at international markets, and I'd really like to see Bring Your Own Book cross the seas. You know, that would be incredible. And that yeah. was the other thing with one of, with this game, is it is all ages. Oh yeah, you know. So depending yeah. again, you could have a group of fifth graders, all with fifth grade level reading books, sure, and play this game. You could have PhDs like medical textbooks, and yeah. that again is I think a triumph of a game like yours that it has that playability across all of that. Also, I strongly recommend for adults the experience of playing with kids and letting the kids pick the books for you. We we recently (laughs) played with a kid who was like, okay, you're all going to play with Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And we went, okay, that's (laughs) that's what we're going to (laughs) do. Awesome. Well, yeah, so that is the game. Yeah. And you can find it again. So where can people find you specifically on social media? Where can people... You know, kind of connect. Yeah, if you want all of the information about the game, we've centralized it at bringyourownbook.com. That's where you can find 
a link to Game Rights Edition, purchase for ours, our mailing list, you know, okay. for the download of the app. Um, all of that stuff, bringyourownbook.com. We're on social media as Do Better Games, uh, okay. which is the imprint that we sort of started to encourage ourselves to always and constantly do better. Exactly. Uh, awesome and we're message. at Do Better Games on Twitter, at Do Better Games on Facebook. We're on Tumblr, too, although I'm maybe not as much fun as some <laughs> other Tumblr accounts. Right. Okay. I mean, Tumblr is still a thing, yeah, so good yeah. job for being on there. Yeah, we're, we're at, uh, uh, well, Tumblr is where I like to hang out, you know, like that's where I get to read all my, like, good Marvel fanfic, you know. There you go. Yeah, yep. This is good stuff. Um, but yeah, also we're on Instagram for people who want to share pictures oh, with us. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, thank you for taking the time away from the madness oh, of the yeah. Seattle Indie Expo and coming in the studio and recording. The studio. I, I know. I say studio very, very loosely. That's okay, man. Every time I say do better games is my company, I'm like, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I have now done better and formed a company. Yeah. I, I have an LLC certificate. Whoa. I don't know if that makes me official. It absolutely does. That's I probably way more than need I like a chair. <laughs> <laughs> a designated area, maybe a desk. Yeah, exactly. I'll get, I'll get one of those later. Anyway, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So bringyourownbook.com. It's us. All right, here we are back again with another interview in my awesome studio. What do you think about my studio right it's now? It's awesome. I love the fact that there's a, a corner of a table right in my crotch. Yeah. That's the best part. There's also nachos that other people are taking and what seems to be blueberry muffins and a spilt beer. Pretty much. I think all of those things are, yeah, are, are correct. I'm looking at them with my eyeballs. So, all right. So Don Thacker uh, from... Imago Softworks. Imago Softmer, Software. Jeez, Softworks. Softworks. Imagos Softworks. Imagos Softworks. I am a G-O-S, S-O-F-T-W-R-K-S, Imagos Softworks. Yeah, I'm glad the you... Imagos is the final uh, molting form of an insect. So there's what? like a larva, a pupa, and then an imago, and multiple are imagos or imagi if you're like Latin or whatever. But that's a dead language, so who cares? So anyway, listen, my company yes. is the final form. Right? Ah, it's, there we go. Like yeah. Frieza. Yeah, you know, yeah! There you go. Hell yeah. So... Tell me about your game because, first of all, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to Don yeah. is since coming into the, the Wait, do we get to today, talk to me in the third person for the rest of the interview? I could. Well, that, Don that, actually really Don. likes your interview space. So as soon as I came in the expo today, I hear this voice yeah. from the back of the where are we, per performance uh, studio? Whatever what, this is. Whatever th this but big area. It has area. wood beams. It would go really well in the market. Yes. Oh, maybe the Melrose market where, where we're recording. Maybe that exactly Imagine where we that. Are. So I hear this booming voice from the corner. Okay. And I end up making my way to there. Okay. I'm excited. I want to see what this is. I want to see where this is going. Uh, and there was a guy right next to you. He was great. He was okay. really energetic. Oh, I know. No, that was you. Oh, it was me? Yeah, that was you. You saw me. I did. Oh, that's great. And I heard you before I saw you. Yeah, that tends to be the case, I think. That's so the thing. So your, your enthusiasm yeah. is awesome. So here's the question. Yeah. I make video games for a living. Uh-huh. Why wouldn't it be? Pretty much. Like, I want to know why I have, I'm not screaming over literally every other person in this room. That is a very good right? point. I, I programmed computers for 12 years, like did, did big data and database stuff. Uh -huh. I wanted to die. I slept under my desk for some other guy to, get, to make a bunch of money. I have at least 12 years of massive enthusiasm to get through before I can be like normal. That is a lot, that is a lot of years yeah, to get through. So, before we talk all about that, all right. tell me about your game. So, the game looks incredible. Tell oh, me about you. it. 
Uh, my game, the game we're showing right now is Star Mazer DSP. It's a prequel to uh, the, the now well-known Star Mazer, which was kickstarted in 2015. The game called Star Mazer. I'm going to tell you about that for just a second, just to show you how Star Mazer DSP is differentiated from that. Star Mazer is a retro, sexy, point-and-click adventure shoot em up in space. That means it is a LucasArts-style, Sierra-style, old-school 90s point-and-click adventure game with a horizontal scrolling shooter action mechanic. Uh-huh. That's crazy. Tell right? me more. <laughs> so when I was a kid, I really, I really liked point-and-click adventure games, but they were like super good on story and super crap on action, right? Yeah. I really love uh, horizontal scrolling shooters because they were really awesome on action, but they were super lacking on story. So I decided when I, was gonna, when I grew up, if it ever had the opportunity, if, I, if it ever came to me that I could do it, I would make a point-and-click adventure shoot them up and I'm doing it. And everybody thought it was crazy, but then everybody backed it on Kickstarter, so it seems like we're doing it. I've been in you guys had, you guys had a really successful yeah, Kickstarter. Yeah, we did. It was pretty great. Um, we, uh, we got a publishing deal out of it, which is pretty cool. Awesome. So uh, we've been working on that for, uh, we're just finishing up two years of development. We're looking at another half a year, it looks like, awesome. to get that out. But that's not out yet. That's coming in 2017. What is out on early access right now uh-huh. is Star Mazer DSP. So this is what we did. We were developing, so the point-and-click adventure shoot em up is very complicated, right? Because, yeah. <laughs> well, the, the point-and-click adventure part, uh, one of the things I hated when I was a kid was that point-and-click adventures were super uh, not replayable. Mm-hmm. You beat it once, you, you could, you're like, if you play Space Quest the first time, the original Space Quest, that's like a three-hour game. Yeah. If you play it a second time, you can literally beat it in 14 minutes. I'm not kidding. You can beat it in 14 minutes. It sounds minutes. like somebody has done that. I have. I've done it. I've done <laughs> it on stream. It's pretty great. Spoiler alert. So, yeah, so here's the trick. Uh, that's that's crappy to me. Right. So I wanted to make a nearly infinitely replayable point-and-click adventure game. That means <laughs> right. a nearly infinitely replayable story, which means that we need to do heuristics, and we need to do AI, and we need to do blockchaining, and we need to do all this crazy stuff to make atomic modular story systems all kind of like play it, procedural ways to recontextualize the stories you play through it. And that's complicated. It's really hard. Uh, what isn't really hard is making a shmup. I mean, like, isn't, okay. yeah, like, isn't one of the Unity plugin, like, it's just like a shmup plugin. Like, shmups are easy. Now, a good shmup, not so easy. But doing that is easy. So, I, uh, I so, heard, so, real quick, I have no idea what that is. A shoot em up. A horse shoot, shoot, shoot em up. Okay, I've never yeah. heard that acronym. So are you like, doing, like, a game? Is this a game? Oh, yeah. You don't know what a shmup is? I do not. Can I just take over your show? Uh, I might just take it over. Maybe. Yeah. This is the Don Thacker Show, ladies right. and gentlemen. Thank you for showing up today. Hello, yeah. that guy named John. What do you do for a living? So I do a bunch of stuff. The main thing is host this podcast that oh. we're now on. Okay, I'm going to get back to that podcast then. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so uh, so w- what we did was we got our friends at Pixel Jam. Uh-huh. Uh, it's another game company, really good game company. They did Dino Run and Potato Man Seeks the Truth and a whole bunch of games for Adult Swim games like uh, Retro uh, retro Unicorn Attack, that kind of thing. We oh, got, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. good game. We got those guys. To start black boxing physics. I know a guy over there named Miles. He's one of the owners. He's one of my closest friends. I said, hey, can you black box a bunch of physics for me while I work on this story engine with my team? <laughs> right. And he's like, sure, I'll, I'll write it in hacks, and you can like export it as uh, DLLs for C Sharp, and we can use that. And uh, every week they would send us builds of just like like trigonometry, like stuff wow. moving around, just stuff flying around. And we were playing it, and it turned out it was really fun just to like play <laughs> the demo of just like the trigonometry, like the bullet patterns and stuff. So we decided, let's try to make a whole game out of this. I'll design a, a roguelike wrapper for it. Okay. We'll give you a whole bunch of art over the course of the next couple months. We'll write a big-ass story for it, and we'll, we'll kick, kick you guys the development. So Pixel Jam has been developing Star Mazer DSP in tandem ah. with Star Mazer, okay? Okay. So Star Mazer DSP just went to early access. What it is is it's a pixel-pretty, roguelike, horizontal scrolling shoot 'em up also in space. Set in the Star Mazer universe. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it takes place 230 years before the events of Star Mazer. Of course. It's pretty cool. Uh, where Star Mazer, you play one guy, Brick M. Stonewood, the M stands for metal. That's pretty badass, if you ask me. Pretty awesome. Uh, you play that guy. Uh, in Star Mazer DSP, you play the whole of humanity. All of it. 
<laughs> all okay. of it. Billions. You play all billions. That guy, John, you play billions. That is crazy. No joke. So what happens is since it's a roguelike, instead of using lives, right. the mechanic is you start out with a base squadron of three, and as you, uh, as you play, you gain score. Score is your currency. It's S-K-O-R-E. It's S-K-O-R-E. And that's your currency. When you die, those three guys, when they're dead, when your squadron explodes, you go back to the service and go back to the base, and you buy a whole new squadron with the score you've got. Interesting. So you kind of you kind of swing upward, right? You get better and better. Hopefully, you get more and more score. Well, there's there's kind of like a valley of suck if you're really bad at oh, these yeah. games. But you get out of that valley in 20, 40 minutes. It's no big deal. Nice. Once you got that upswing, you can start buying better and better pilots. You can start unlocking silver pilots who have much better. They have much better starting weapons. They're much more survivable. And then if you get to the gold level, you can start buying handmade custom pilots. So every pilot in the game, except for handmade custom pilots, are procedurally generated. There are wow. thousands of permutations. You'll never get the same pilot twice, and their ships are also procedurally generated. So Jeez. all of their stats, all of their visuals are procedurally generated. So it's an endless, constant change. You, you, you'll never get the same set again. Uh, we also fully voice the game. So in the three <laughs> levels that you get with Early Access, there's only three levels in Early Access. Right. There's three levels and one gigantic boss, which, by the way, only one person is legitimately beaten here tonight at 6. See, it's eight hours. Because earlier today when I was at the booth, nobody had beaten it. Right. Yeah, one person. He, I gave him a shirt. He won a sh- or she, she won a shirt. Sorry, she won a shirt. So uh, anyway, uh, they're all procedurally generated. You'll never get them again. Uh, it's really cool because it's super um, replayable, obviously. But there are these gold pilots who we hand-built in studio. They're like super wow. ultra-mega badasses, but they cost like a ton of money. Right, so the idea as they is, should. Is you start with a bunch of crappy pilots. You uh, work your way up to some better pilots, some medium pilots, some silver pilots. Then finally, if, you, if you're lucky, you can unlock some gold pilots and take those guys into space. So in, in the full game, you fight from a, the surface of a planet called Terrace CPX. You, you fight from there, nine levels into space. That's six mini-bosses, three gigantic like full-screen or multi-screen Jeez. bosses. You fly from the surface of a planet up to the stratosphere, up into the, the upper atmosphere, up into space, and then you go into a, the Telkin supercluster, which is an asteroid. Mm-hmm. Fight your way through the asteroid. You go to a space gate, and when you're in the space gate, the space gate, the center of the space gate is guarded by a gigantic boss. That's the boss on, on show tonight. Okay. Uh, once you beat that boss, you go into hyperspace. You fight in hyperspace a whole bunch. Once you get through hyperspace, you get into this place called the Weirding Space, which is uh. where like all relativity is all over the place. It's really crazy. It's all parallax and stuff. Then, at the end of the Weirding Space, you finally puncture into the final armada. The last three levels of the final armada, you fight in front of this giant capital ship that you see in the distance. <laughs> And you're slowly getting closer to it. And by the time you're so close to it, you can't... It, it's so big that you can't fit it on, on any number of screens. It's massive. Great. But you blast a hole into the side of it. You mm-hmm. fire ship into it. And for two levels, you're inside of it. You go through its hangar. You go through its manufacturing centers, all of its engines and everything. And finally, the entire last level is a boss battle with 72 layers of parallax, horizontal, Sheesh. vertical, rotational parallax, all kinds of crazy shit. It's like a 14-minute boss battle where you destroy this giant ship to save... Humanity. Now, the thing is, if you die at any point during this, mm-hmm. you start back at your base, use all your money and all your unlocks to buy a new squadron and start from the planet surface again. Wow. It's pretty awesome. That sounds incredible. <laughs> That's Star Major DSP. It's available right now in Early Access. If you get it in Early Access, you get, like I said, Act 1, which is the first three levels of Giant Boss, fairly polished. We'll probably polish it a little bit more, but it's, it's pretty great right now. Right. That's Still what you stop. see this big croup right now. That's all they're doing is playing that. Oh, so that, um, the, what they're playing right now is the exact thing the that people can get. exact thing you can get at EA right now. In fact, I'm selling EA codes. I've sold over a hundred of them in the last seven hours. It's pretty great. So, for those of you who are, who are not here, all of those 100 codes for each of those, there has been 100 shouts. Yeah, I shout a lot when they, when they buy the code. <laughs> when they buy I, the code, which, again, I have to respect your enthusiasm because, again, 
you are an indie game developer. Yeah. And again, as soon as someone buys your game, that is a reaction that is honest. It is true. Yeah, it I comes, freak out. Like, it is that incredible. guy took money out of his pocket and handed me that money because I and a group of my friends got together and made a game. That's incredible. I don't know why you wouldn't scream. I don't know why. I, man, every time I go to Steam and look at that the, the, the EA we've sold, I freak out at home. I can't believe people are putting down their hard-earned money to get a piece of entertainment that I've worked my ass off and wanted to do since I was nine years old. This is incredible. I don't know why anybody's not freaking out all the time. So I give them an honest moment. I freak out uh, yep. a little bit. A lot of it, probably. A lot of it, yep. yeah. So anyway, but it is deserving. That's available on EA right now. Thank you. That is available uh, on EA right now. And what's really cool about our EA campaign, we're doing something really interesting. You notice I called it an EA campaign. We right. didn't just throw this onto early access and just chill out and like try to wait for the dollars to roll in. Right. Every single week from now until the end of March when the game fully comes out, every week we're doing a contest. We're doing a boss rush, mo- boss, boss rush mode or a score attack or uh, we're, we're testing out new weapons. And at the end of these weeks, we're going to give away prizes every single week. And, with, and only people who have the early access can get this. Uh, these nice. prizes range everywhere from getting your name in the game, getting your likeness in the game, helping us design a weapon, all the way to physical goods like shirts and button packs and all kinds of cool stuff. Okay. So uh, that's what you get for buying. It's, it's right now, it's, it's in the Steam Shmup sale for $8.99. Normally, it's $9.99, so it's 10% off. You get $8.99. For right now until I don't know whenever that, sh- that sales over for 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 eight ninety nine for nine bucks you get to participate in a month long four month long early access period where you get to help shape the game you get the whole game where there's no microtransactions no PS it's ten bucks it's like right. a beer and a half right like right I don't know why you wouldn't do that right now we're on Capitol Hill that is like it's like one half of a beer I was like that is a half <laughs> it's, you, you get to look at a beer for twelve seconds <laughs> right. and then leave angry pretty that's much. what it is yeah for for ten for nine bucks. Fantastic. Yeah, so where can people find the most information, the most up-to-date information about you and the game? Uh, StarMazer.com. That's S-C-A-R-R-M-A-Z-E-R.com slash or Solidus if you're a big nerd, DSP. Uh, you can just go to StarMazer.com and click on the DSP button if you want. There's a big logo there. Uh, also, you can find us in the Indie Box. Uh, if you're at PAX for the last day, we're, we're featured in the Indie Box. You can, if you buy an Indie Box card pack, okay. you can actually get a download code for DSP in the Indie Box card pack. So that's awesome. Nice. It's only the first level, though. It's not the first act. So it's just kind of a taste to right. get you into it. But you also get all the other cool stuff in the Indie Box. Uh, also, you can follow us on Twitter at StarMazer, at S-T-A-R-R-M-A-Z-E-R. Uh, you can also find Imagos Softworks on Twitter, I-M-A-G-O-S-S-O-F-T-W-R-K-S, Imagos Softworks. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on Twitter, follow that. But most of the Star Mazer uh, Twitter account does all the tweeting. We also have a Vine account. Do some pretty, nice. a lot of me yelling on the Vine account. You can probably imagine. Shocking! This yeah. is my shocked face. I love it. For those of you who are not watching, <laughs> which is no one because there's no camera, this is audio media. It was a pretty awesome shocked face. I am myself shocked. There you go. Awesome. Well, it has it has been my pleasure to sit down with Don Thacker. Thank you. The game looks incredible. Thank the people you. the people are freaking out. You are freaking out. I'm freaking out, man. It is it is well deserving. So Thanks thank lot, you again sir. for all of your time. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. So I'm sitting down with Steve. Steve, welcome to Steve just stood up on an audio medium and is pointing out his Metroid <laughs> shirt that nobody can see. Welcome, Steve. Thanks, John. Uh, so we are now back in the regular studio, not in a crazy loud uh, six studio or oh, at a so peaceful or at a PAX a studio, which we tried to do some recording there, yeah. but it got a little crazy. So Steve and I are going to be talking about six, the Seattle Indie Expo, which listeners, you just listened to the first half of this episode or first part of this episode, which has some interviews with some six creators and producers. So we're going to be, we're going to talk about six and also PAX, the Penny Arcade Expo, 
Now, you just listen to people talk about PAX or talk about six and kind of what it is. Steve, tell people about PAX who might not know what PAX is. PAX was started by the guys who did the Penny Arcade webcomic. Mm-hmm. In 2004, they decided to do a show that was uh, for the gamers, really. Mm-hmm. There were previous conventions like E3 and you know the Tokyo Game Show and other ones that were really for the creators of video games, not for the fans. So they wanted to do something that was just for the fans, so it started in 2004, and it grew pretty quickly. Uh, by 2007, they had to move out of their Bellevue uh, Convention Center. Right. Uh, Bellevue is, of course, where Microsoft and Nintendo's in that neighborhood as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's kind of a smaller community. They moved into the Washington State Convention Center, which is in downtown Seattle. And gigantic. It's gigantic. And uh, the last year that we have numbers for is 2011, 70,000 attendees. Jeez. Now, this year, it was probably more like 100,000. And the way they're able to increase that attendance is to... They expanded to hotels mm-hmm. around the convention center. Hotels so, and performance halls. Right, and- Ben Royal Hall, which is the biggest symphonic hall probably in Washington, yeah. uh, but definitely in Seattle. And uh, it's a giant festival for tabletop gaming, mm-hmm. PC, computer gaming, mm-hmm. and, of course, console gaming. All of the consoles, yeah. Yeah, uh, they have the giant expo floor. They have panels. They have uh, tournaments for console and, and uh, PC and handheld. Mm-hmm. They have you know just side areas where you can get together with other geeks and nerds and talk about things that interest you. Um, it's uh, it's just a big celebration. It's four days. It's almost always over Labor Day weekend, mm-hmm. and people fly in from all over. I, it's I, I love it. Yeah, it is It is pretty incredible. So before we kind of go into PAX things, uh, Steve was able to go to all four days of PAX. So that was Friday through Monday. Uh, I was only able to attend with Steve on one of those days because even with four days, Steve, do you think that you saw everything? Well, definitely. I didn't see everything or experience everything because mm-hmm. it's just too big. You really have to choose. And just like traveling to a European city or anywhere, really, you go into it with elaborate plans of, oh, I'm going to min-max my time, and I'm Mm -hmm. really going to get there early, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it for five minutes, and then I'm going to go to the next one. I'm going to do it for 20 minutes. But you don't understand that you know it takes time to get from place to place and to spend time with everything. You really have to uh, put put you know x number of minutes into mm-hmm. it. You're talking to the developers, so you're not able to experience it all. But as you walk through the expo floor, especially, you're drawn to certain things. You say, "Oh, that's a beautiful game," or "That seems like an interesting concept." Yeah. And so I hope uh, as we talk about these, we're guided by things that we were drawn to. Either we heard about them, or uh, we were. Our eyes were caught by them. Absolutely. And uh, that that sort of guided us. And I, I mean, that definitely rings true. And I was going to bring that up also in that Steve and I, we like a lot of the same games, but we also like very different types of games for our general enjoyment. Mm-hmm. So the games that when Steve and I would be walking through the convention floor, which again is massive, and I'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on, hold on. And I would turn around. It would be a game that Steve either saw before or just walked past, but it piqued my interest. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Steve. He would be pointing out some game that was similar to some ridiculous game like Civilization or what was the game? You explained it. It was like Civ Rev meets 
something. Well, I think you're talking about eco. Eco is Minecraft meets civilization. So you get together with people and you're creating a civilization. You have to build the buildings of your civilization. (laughs) What? (laughs) And you have to elect a leader and figure out the economy and everything. I I didn't even play test it or spend much time Mm -hmm. with it because... Uh, th- there's no way you can really get a sense of it just from a 10-minute demo, but uh, there's there's a wide variety yeah. of games. You would really need a team of people to comprehensively yeah. cover packs. You would need one or two tabletop people, one mm-hmm. or two console people. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it, uh, and it really incredible. feels like that because there is so much going on. There are so many things where you take someone like me where my ADHD kicks in, and there are lights everywhere. There are noises everywhere. I'm constantly bombarded with things. And so it is, it is hard for me to then focus and be like, cool, once I get to a game that I want to play, then I'm all in. Mm-hmm. You know, then I can just focus because I'm looking at one screen. Usually you are standing a foot away, two feet away from the screen. So it forces you to kind of isolate that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just walking around, it is, it is amazing uh, and the organization is incredible, but it still feels like you are missing things, no matter how many days you go. Mm-hmm. I would say one of the magical things about PAX for mm-hmm. g- geeks and nerds is not only meeting fellow geeks and nerds right? that are passionate about certain things that you might be passionate about, but when you go to the expo floor, you can meet the developer or the guy yes. who did sound or the lady who did the graphics for a particular game, yep. especially in the indie mega booth area. Yes. Uh, and you can find out how they do it and why they do it and that they're passionate about it. Uh, so that's, that's a really special thing for me. Yeah, totally agree. So that is kind of packs in a nutshell, yeah. kind of what it is, where it started, where it is now. And speaking of where it is now, they have what five of these worldwide every year, right? They have PAX East in yep. Boston. They have PAX South in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. They have PAX Australia right. in Melbourne. Down under. And then they have PAX Dev, which is developers. So it's Interesting. about 750 developers okay. at one point. It might be more now. But it's, it's and really And then PAX grown. West, of course. Yeah, PAX West, which used to be called PAX Prime. And uh, yeah, that's in Seattle. Yeah. Cool. So how about we kick it off with, since we started the episode, with six interviews uh by that i mean seattle indie expo interviews so steve kind of tell me about your experience with six what were some of the things that you liked about it what were some games that you had a chance to play that really kind of spoke to you Mm -hmm. well six is about what 10 or 12 different developers 25 oh it was 25 25 wow okay um, in talking with you beforehand, we, we really had different experiences, mm-hmm. which is nice because you saw some games that I didn't see and yep. vice versa. And, uh, so the ones that I saw particularly were one called card castle. This is mm-hmm. a tabletop game, which, uh, hooked me in right away when they said it was similar to Egyptian rat screw. Yes. It goes by different names. I've a learned lot in <laughs> different areas, but most people know it as Egyptian rat screw. I played a lot of it in Boy Scout camp, right? But uh, if you remember, it's a game that involves a lot of slapping when doubles come down, right? And when you're playing with normal deck of cards, you have royalty uh, cards that come down, and that gives you a certain number of chances to come up with another royalty. Card Castle takes that concept and gives it a medieval theme and adjusts some of the rules. Slapping with doubles is 
there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also have shields that come down. Right. You don't want to slap the shield, but you do want to slap the door because the door means it's an open castle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the door and the shield look similar, and that's by design. Very similar. The shield has a slash mark, like an X slash mark in it. That is pretty much the only defining thing other than it, one is kind of upside down. Yeah. But yeah, look very similar. The way they deal with royalty being different is that instead of having King, Queen, Jack, mm-hmm. they have Archer and a Knight and uh, a Paladin or something like thing. that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And each of those have their own value, one, two, or three. And so if you put down one of those, one, two, or three, the next person has to either meet it or beat it mm-hmm. before they can move on yep. to another card. Um, it definitely sparked some of those feelings of Egyptian rat screw. Of people mm-hmm. going, oh, you know, slap he got a slap or he got his yeah. finger just underneath, you know, rings off, keep your rings off, you know, mm-hmm. that whole thing. Uh, rings off you're playing this in the boy scout we're playing with like <laughs> italian gangsters from the movie so a bunch hardcore. of rings it was okay. hardcore where i'm from yeah <laughs> and the mean streets of portland oregon <laughs> out yeah. in the outskirts of portland oregon <laughs> so i think it's in development it right. could use a you could use a little more polish of the of the art and i think it needs a little more tension uh the thing okay. about when you're playing egyptian rat screw with a deck of cards there's a lot of cards that do nothing, okay? The number mm-hmm. cards, they come along and they come along and there's a lot of, you know, quote-unquote nothing happening. But you kind of need that. There's that building up before there's a slap or there's mm-hmm. a building up before there's a royalty card. So, uh, that's but that's the cool thing about Six is you can see stuff in its in development in exactly. different stages. Some of these uh, games we saw, they had just been started, you know, mm-hmm. so... Or they add a concept that had just happened. So uh, that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, and really quickly, another one that I really liked was Lead Her. Lead, Lead Her. See, that one, I totally missed it. So I, yeah, tell me all about it because, yeah, I think I probably walked past it a couple times on the show floor mm-hmm. and either people were playing it. Because that is the other thing about Six is because the performance hall is pretty tight. Mm-hmm. When people are gathered around a monitor to watch a game, I probably, yeah, walked past it a couple of times because it was popular and there were people standing around. Mm-hmm. I probably just did not get a chance to actually see it. Yeah. It's a complicated game, but the okay. easiest way to say it is uh, you have a spaceship. So it's kind of like Space Invaders. Mm-hmm. But the screen, is, the screen is split. On the left side, it's kind of like Space Invaders, and you're using your left thumbstick on your controller oh, to control okay, that. okay, yeah, yeah, yep. And on the right side of the screen... It's a little bit more isometric, I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. So you have a spaceship going around on the surface of a planet, and it's a little bit not strictly top down. Right. It's from a three quarters perspective, I guess mm-hmm. I would say. So you've got to control both simultaneously. Cool. And each have different purposes and missions, pros and cons. And there's also a bit of a gambling aspect because you're supposed to collect minerals, you're supposed to collect, collect parts for your spaceship. Uh, but you're always risking more damage. So you kind of have mm-hmm. to decide, at what point am I going to uh, leave the planet and accept that this is my score? Right. And yep. Okay. And the last one, so that was a very interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Left stick controls the left side, right stick controls the right side. So you really of have to use screen. both sides of your brain mm-hmm. Yep. to figure out what's going on and control it. Yeah. Very interesting, very unique concept. Yeah. It's been used before a couple times in a game called Brothers for okay. Xbox, uh, one of the Xbox Live Arcade games, and a game for uh, Nintendo DS that I'm forgetting the name of, but there's something going on in the top screen and there's something going on in the bottom uh, screen. Nice, nice. And you have to keep Toggle. track of those mm-hmm. simultaneously because what happens in one affects the other and back gotcha. and forth. 
I wish I could remember the name, but I can't. Yeah. If only there were machines directly in front of us, they could probably find out exactly <laughs> what game that is. Ah, they don't want to hear us Wikipediaing stuff, do Fair they? enough. Okay, so moving right along mm-hmm. to a game that we both really enjoyed, I think, called Bring Your Own Book. This is a yes. tabletop game made by a friend of mine named Matthew Moore. Mm-hmm. Here's the concept of the game. Everyone has novels in their home, books mm-hmm. on a bookshelf. Uh, you select one of those books, pull it off the shelf, and then you receive a card that has a prompt on it. Yep. So, for example... It might say, find a uh, name for a craft beer. And so, uh-huh. boom, it's on. Everybody looks through their book. They're looking through for the name of a craft beer. And once one person has found it, they say, I got it. Now, the other team, uh, the rest of the team, or I'm sorry, I should say, the, rest the, of the people players. you're playing against, yep. yeah, mm-hmm. they have 60 seconds to uh, commit to a, a craft beer name that they found in their book. Mm-hmm. And then once they've decided... They read it out loud, and one of the people in the circle is the judge, and they right. decide what the correct answer is. It's very flexible. I mean, if you want to do Cards Against Humanity, you could have really, you could have uh, romance novels or mm-hmm. uh, dirty, dirty books. <laughs> you dirty some dirty books, books. <laughs> right. uh, or you could do all sci-fi or whatever. But uh, super creative, super flexible. And uh, what was your impression of Bring Your Own Book by Bring Your Own Book? was great. And again, for those of you listening to this part of the episode, you heard my interview with Matthew Moore earlier. And it just, that was the game uh, that I was the most excited to play after the expo. When it was still in my head, I was like, man, I really want to play that game. So it looked incredible. They have two different versions. They have a limited edition version, which looks like a book that you would put on your bookshelf looks fantastic. The other version that is available in Barnes & Noble across the country is also really nice packaging. Personally, I like that limited edition one. So definitely go on their website that Matthew plugged earlier. I think it is just bringyourownbook.com. And yeah, see if you can get a hold of the limited edition one because it looks sharp. So yeah, definitely enjoyed that game. What else you got? Well, what do you think? Where should we go next? Should we talk about some of the stuff we saw on the PAX floor, or should we do something that we experienced together, which is VR? Nah, first. Oh, oh did you want to do best like, of? Well, six? first, I want to talk about a couple games okay. that I played at six. Oh, good idea. Um, of course, that is a good idea. I feel like Monty Python calls it a good idea when they talk to God. Uh, not comparing myself to God, but it is a good idea. There we go. Uh, so, the first one that I played is going to be. Quadra. Now, Quadra is a really unique take on a Tetris-style game, where you have a square in the middle of the screen that is a various a various color, or a various color, and then what you're trying to do is, in the space around you, shift the whole board, and then try and line up at least three. You get points, they blow up, and then you move on to the next side. It gets faster and faster, and as you're building the blocks up, that square in the middle where you have your player get smaller and smaller. So it was really, it was again, it was a Tetris style game. And with a lot of these games, both at six and at PAX, having a game that catches your eye and you're like, Hey, that is like this game that I remember, I think is one of the best parts because like they always say, imitation is the fondest form of flattery. There is nothing wrong with making a game that is similar to another one that you grew up playing and enjoying yeah you're taking something you're putting a twist on it yeah a unique take on something or you're adding an element 
Exactly. So it provides an entry point for people and a new excitement, something different. Absolutely. So Quadra, that was really fun. Uh, Star Mazer DSP, which you heard Don Thacker on the episode earlier, and he was super excited about this whole game. That was really fun. Uh, The one that was the most unique that I played at six, and I tried to get the guy on the episode, he was either gone or something. The game was called Plunge. Now, the interesting thing about this game was the guy was walking around, the game was on his back. Like, it was on a probably 17-inch monitor held vertically. And so I, like, I walked past him, and I looked at his back, and I was like, what, what is that? And he was like, oh, go ahead and play. So I was like, oh, okay. Did he keep walking? No, he stood still, oh, which was nice. nice uh, <laughs> and so it was like a side, you side-swiped, and you're trying to get this key. Some enemies popped up. Every time you got a key, you dropped to a new level. It was all black and white. Really slick art really slick kind of game direction and again unique like there was not another game at six or at pax that had that type of maneuverability uh physically you know but also just such a concept where he's just walking around with the game on his back that is what is going to get someone interested as they just as they themselves walk around the floor Mm -hmm. so that was really cool uh we already talked about bring your own book The other ones that I wanted to give a quick highlight to are the family-focused games that were at the Seattle Indie Expo. Uh, Two of them were from the same production company, which is Sunbreak Games, one of which was called Care for Our World. Now, this is a children's book that also has a game that you can basically just read along with the book in this mobile version. It also has a mobile coloring book. It was really cool. The art was really pretty, and it just... Those type of games where a lot of people, when they think of gamers in general, they might think of shooters. They might think of this or that. Games can be everything. Like games can be completely family focused and absolutely enjoyable for people of all ages. It sounds totally cliche, but it is totally true. Mm-hmm. So Care for Our World is kind of their book version. The other game, though, was Buddy and Me. I liked the look of that one. It Buddy was and Me. Gorgeous. Like, the animation, the art style, everything was smooth. Uh, I believe it is coming out on the Wii U, and it was the first time I'd ever played the Wii U. Oh, wow. (laughs) So so it was just like, it was side-scrolling. You control this character, either male or female, a young kid who's dreaming, and going through a level, collecting stars. That looks a lot like the Pacific Northwest. And you have And Buddy is your Falcor-like character. Mm Mm-hmm. And he sometimes helps you get past a gap in the path yeah so helps you out yes like a buddy would exactly uh and then your time basically runs out when you wake up oh yeah so really cool gameplay i definitely yeah i mean it looks i'm such a sucker for colors that Mm -hmm. has such great saturated colors pastels clouds in the distance and yeah yeah the palette of the game was gorgeous so big ups to sunbreak sunbreak games and then chess heroes there have been a million types of chess games you can download them on your phone all of those things this one is a twist on it and it is an animated chess game the main purpose behind it though is that he wants to get this into schools he wants to give schools this game that just teaches kids how to play chess so he has a kickstarter out right now i would encourage you to go and support that because again this is not he is not making a game and hoping to make a bajillion dollars his mission is truly to help and so to help some kids learn how to play chess is awesome. 
So I really enjoyed that. Rival Star Hero, which is a Raiden slash Pacific Wing slash 1941 top-down jet fighter game, mm-hmm. which just like Steve mentioned. They would call him a shoot 'em up Yeah, they yeah. would call it a shoot 'em up Steve mentioned earlier, the unique twist on this game was you are side-by-side with the other player, and you are essentially versing each other. So with that, you're facing the same enemies in different configurations. You can sabotage the other person. So that was really cool. And those games, again, as I mentioned my ADHD earlier, when there are a thousand things on the screen mm-hmm. and my eyes have a thousand things to focus on, I like that. So it is chaotic, but that was definitely really fun. You're in heaven when you're in bullet hell. Wow. No, really. Please nobody put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be rough. Yeah. Um, I liked it. Yeah. So well, there there were some really cool indie games. And like Steve said, it was really nice to see these games in development. Gravistar, a game that, again, I interviewed Tony from that, when some of the actions were taken by the characters and then you still see the outlines of the pencils that they did. To me, that is awesome. You know, it just shows like these games are being worked on right now. We're watching these games evolve. So it's awesome. a special thing. Yeah, it, it totally is. So that was Seattle Indie Expo. Mm-hmm. Now moving right along. I would suggest we go to the Indie Mega Booth section of PAX. That would be because a perfect Because it's in the segue. same vein of mm-hmm. what we were doing with Six. Yeah. So the Indie Mega Booth section at PAX has something like 40 different games yeah, it was big. that are not by the AAA developers. Okay, so not EA, not Bethesda, not these giant ones. Uh, smaller uh, companies that are mm-hmm. still, you know, really well-polished, amazing games, but just don't have that massive backing behind them. Mm-hmm. So let me touch on a couple that Absolutely. really stood out to me. First one is called Thimbleweed Park. <laughs> Oh, this already sounds park. like a micromanaging economic game. No. Oh, not right. at all. Yeah. So Thimbleweed Park is made by a bunch of people that formerly worked at LucasArts. So if people are familiar with Secret of Monkey Island, one oh, or two. Oh, that game. Okay. Yep. Yep. And uh, Maniac Mansion. Mm-hmm. This game has so much DNA from those. So it's funny like those. It looks like those. The character designs are, are similar to those. And uh, you, so it's an adventure game, mm-hmm. and you navigate the world by uh, selecting "look at," and then you click the object, or "give," and then you click on the object. Very old school, reminiscent of those kind of click adventure games on the PC of our youth. Old school is relative, right? Yep. So it's from yep. the mid '90s, <laughs> which uh, is yeah. where yeah, many mentioned is maybe late '80s. No, but no, I think it was early '90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you can switch between the different characters and I'm not sure if they have different abilities, but you give something to someone else mm-hmm. and they use it. This is right up my alley. You know, yes. I'm a big fan of King's quests, space quest, mm-hmm. leisure suit, Larry, all those Sierra games, uh, and secret of monkey Island. Great too. So, uh, this game is going to come out on steam pretty soon. And the demo I played was fantastic. Beautiful game. And again, right up my alley, maniac mansion esque very much. Awesome. And then we had sort of a Twitch-based game mm-hmm. that reminded me a little bit of Geometry Wars. Yes. Rem- uh, reminded me a little bit of shoot 'em ups mm-hmm. but Without shooting. Yeah, you have no <laughs> right. shooting. Yeah. So this game is called Just Shapes and Beats. Uh-huh. Just Shapes and Beats. Which was one of the 
You played this with me. Yes. So Steve and I got a chance to play. This is a four-player co-op game. Uh, Side-scrolling. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it is. You play a shape. Yes. And your goal is to avoid everything that's pink. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Pretty much. You're on a field of blue, basically. Blue, purple. Yeah, blue, Mm -hmm. purple, right. And these crazy pink shapes, they're columns, they're lines, they're stripes, they're Mm -hmm. bullets, and they're flying everywhere in time with the music. So it's very important. This game is tied to the the beats mm-hmm. of these incredible electronic um, tracks they've chosen. Yeah. And you just move your shape around the screen trying to avoid these pink objects that are coming yep. out. Yeah. Similar to asteroids in the sense where you have a motion stick and then a fire. In this one, you have a motion stick and a dash. <laughs> yeah. That is it. Yeah. The music is what makes this game, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful and creative, and I hope to see it on Xbox Live, for yeah. sure. Yeah. That was, def- that was on my list, too. Uh, it was hard. I mean, there are there parts that were pretty relentless, because, there, again, there's so much going on on the screen, mm-hmm. and it had a cool dynamic where if someone died, you know, and you see this little glowing thing that says, help me, you just flew up to them and it essentially kind of gave them health again. It revived them, yeah. Because it was not like other games where you have to be there for a second. This was like just fly by them. Yeah. There's so much going on in the game at such a high pace. Yeah. You have to just keep things going. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Excellent. I like that. I was really impressed with another game called Viking Squad. Yes. It feels a little bit like Castle, Castle Crashers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> 20,000 Roaring Arcs. Oh. <laughs> It feels a little bit like Final Fight. So mm-hmm. it's a brawler. It's a brawler. Yes. Beautiful. Really gorgeous. Incredible drawings and colors. Again, I'm sucker for the colors. The twist on this one is, unlike other brawlers, you have lanes. Mm-hmm. So four different lanes that you can be in, which is very clever because I remember playing Double Dragon on the yes. NES back in the day, and you could pretty easily beat the enemy by being just above or mm-hmm. just below them. Yep. So there was a certain amount of tolerance for that uh, being just above or just below, and you could beat them up. So this one with lanes, you can't really do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there are four, as far as what we played, four distinct lanes. Mm-hmm. If someone is in your lane, great. You can kill, you can yeah, attack you can, them. You yeah. can attack them. Yeah. Very irreverent, just like Castle Crashers. Mm-hmm. You were riding a walrus for a time. That was awesome. <laughs> the walrus had its tongue out, and it was kind of flopping around mm-hmm. and everything. And uh, the enemies were goofy sheepdogs and stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, and they I hope to see the entire thing. I mean, yeah. I'm definitely going to buy this game. It's just so ridiculous. And it's, it's just a fun time. Just like Castle Crashers, you get together mm-hmm. and go through this brawler. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yep. I definitely liked that one. Also, we got a chance to speak with one of the Foley artists who worked on the game. So hearing him as, again, hearing him talk about the game that he helped make as we were playing the game is an awesome experience. Mm -hmm. At both of these expos that we had the chance to go to, we had that opportunity. And the best way to get the sound of a skull crushing is? By freezing a bell pepper and then smashing it. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so I love it. getting those little tips is awesome. Uh, here's another one from Movie Magic. Is when you want someone to like, break their leg or whatever, take celery and twist it and snap it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very, very cool experience. Lots of games at the Indie Mega Booth, mm-hmm. but those were the ones that stood out to me the most. How about for you? Yeah, there was another one that we had a chance to play called Bleed 2. 
This is a side-scrolling, crazy shooter where you play two female protagonists. Um, the twist was basically I played the purple-haired one. Steve played the blonde one, blonde-haired one. Enemy projectiles are either purple or yellow. The purple-haired person can reject those projectiles and bounce them back at the enemy. Same with the yellow. Their own color. Their own color. So that was cool because it encourages the cooperation. There are enemies coming at you from all over. Even though this is a 2D side-scrolling, there are enemies coming out from all over. So if you're playing with someone and you're communicating, you know, being able to kind of play off of each other and know that your partner, your person you're playing with, has your back and that they can bounce back those projectiles... It was really cool. We played a short demo. It was three to five minutes. Mm-hmm. So that was that was really cool. That was one of my highlights. Did it bring back memories of Metal Slug? Unfortunately. I say that because this game was great. Metal Slug is damn near impossible. Uh-huh. Even now, like back in the day when we would go to the arcades and just pump all of our money that we would get from mowing the lawn or whatever and never get anywhere in Metal Slug, this one is similar in gameplay but way more satisfying mm-hmm. and way more forgiving. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was Bleed 2. Uh, as far as from the indie booth, I mean, yeah, we had a chance to talk about Viking Squad. We talked about just shapes and beats. So, yeah. Now, Steve had the chance, like I said, to go there for four days. So he got a chance to see more of the AAA type things. So before we go into the unique thing that he and I both had the chance to go to, which is the VR uh, kind of section of of this expo what were your impressions of some of like the big triple a stuff that happened final fantasy 15 is coming and we cannot stop it i'm such a sucker for final you fantasy. really are <laughs> <laughs> i'm a grown man yeah and debatable i still <laughs> am drawn to final fantasy mm-hmm. even though i have no time to play it seriously <laughs> have you even finished what was the last one you played 12 13 no 10 no no hang on hang on i bought 12 (laughs) i barely played it (laughs) exactly 13 i didn't buy uh 14 was an online and now 15 though i might have to buy it because it looks amazing i won't waste i don't i won't waste any time describing it because you can just look up all the videos that are out there absolutely but here's the thing it's gorgeous (laughs) hashtag disclaimer (laughs) and the battle Mm -hmm. that happens the battling all four of your characters are fighting all the time. Okay, so this is such a, a evolution from yes. Final Fantasy IV, Final mm-hmm. Fantasy VI, even seven, even ten. Okay, mm-hmm. where you take a turn, yes. Cloud runs up and hits the guy and goes runs back. back, and then it's yeah. uh, time for the for the enemy to hit you, and then and then he goes back. Everything is happening at all the time. At all times, so you have. Uh, it must be gambit systems like uh, Final Fantasy twelve, where you say where you assign one person. Okay, you're going to be Long you're going to be fighting. You're going to continue fighting, oh. Oh, and and if you get below a certain health, then you use the health potion. You're going to be magic, and you're going to keep doing the magic until it's no longer. You know, I have no, like the, my face right now. <laughs> I stopped playing these games back in the Super Nintendo because yeah. that turn based thing was so difficult for me. Uh-huh. Not difficult for me. It was just. It was not my type of game. Yeah. I think there's a lot of depth here. Each Final Fantasy brings a little bit of a, of a twist. Yeah. And this one, it's the cooperation between the four characters in the game. So that looked amazing. Let's mm-hmm. move on because there's much yeah. more you could say about Final Fantasy. It's such a big world. Mm-hmm. 
uh, Gears of War 4 was on right. show. Uh, they were showing the Horde mode where you and a team of people on multiplayer are fighting never-ending waves of increasingly difficult enemies. Which I remember you watching up, you play in, was that 2 or was that 3? Three. 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 3. Okay. Uh, you set up barbed wire and right, lasers right, and right. stuff like that. Uh, watching the demo for the Gears of War horde mode made me want to buy it again and play it again because the the I don't really care so much about the story for whatever reason in the Gears of War yeah, world, but enough. the horde mode was really an incredible mm-hmm. time, uh, especially if you get people who are serious about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, gorgeous game, of course. Uh, I did see Werewolf in VR. Right. Through a window. Right. So you weren't familiar with the game Werewolf. A lot of people, yeah. it's a party game. It's kind of like Mafia. Mm-hmm. Mafia? Very, very briefly. Yeah. Let me just describe it really, really, really briefly. So in Werewolf, you have people around a table. People are secretly assigned certain roles. Mm-hmm. Most people are townspeople. One person is the werewolf. And I think one person is the mayor. Okay. And then everyone closes their eyes. The werewolf opens their eyes and designates someone to kill and right. then they close their eyes again and then oh, I realize someone is dead. Okay, so then everyone, all the townspeople get together and they try to figure out who the werewolf is. The the townspeople now nominate someone to kill. Maybe they got the right person, maybe mm-hmm. they didn't. And what is it based on? Well, it's, you know, you're talking with your friends and you're trying to figure out who's bluffing and who's not. Yep. Who You know, because the werewolf knows they're the werewolf, but they're trying to hide it by acting like a townsperson. So mm-hmm. that's the tension. Is As the, you would. Yeah, acting strange and that kind of thing. So there's a VR version. So everyone has VR headsets. <laughs> right. And I guess you're playing with people around the world, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of a funny thing that you could easily be playing this around a table with your friends. But so, no, yeah. you, we don't have time for that. We're going to have again, a VR version of, of Werewolf. This is silly, but yeah. also kind of clever in the same way. Who wants to sit around with real people no. in front of them when they oh. can be with strangers no. globally? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there was uh, PlayStation VR. We didn't try it, but it yeah. was interesting because they had Psychonauts, uh, a yes. new version of Psychonauts, mm-hmm. yep. uh, which, of course, is an incredible game, and I'm sure the new one's going to be incredible. Mm-hmm. And they also had Arkham Asylum in VR. We didn't have a chance to try it, but what yeah. do you think about that? I mean, wouldn't you want to be in the Arkham Asylum world? I do. And I have been hearing various things about the game kind of mixed. I think the difficult thing with VR before we go into the games that we did get a chance to play in VR, I think the rush to try and VR realize something is going to work on some things and it is not going to work on other things. Mm-hmm. But there's such a rush to try and get your title or a new title or a relaunch title like Psychonauts, a game that people loved, then in a VR console, will it actually change the gameplay? Will it make it, will it enhance the gameplay in such a way that changes it dramatically? That's a good point. And if not, I mean, are you doing it just to say you did it? So... I, I mean, I will always praise developers, creators, artists. Like, people put their blood, sweat, and tears into these games. I just wonder if if it is necessary for that type of game, or why not just come out with that game without it? But that could just be me, my crotchety old man-ness of, of the, you know, not wanting to accept this newfangled technology. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, let me rush through a couple more things yeah, here. Yeah, Absolutely. There was a car sharing company who will remain nameless that (laughs) uh, 
had chocobo cars. Now, mm-hmm. what's a chocobo? If you're not familiar, it's a bird in Final <laughs> Fantasy that when you ride it, allows you to avoid random battles. Mm-hmm. So this company... Because, because, of course, you would want to ride something that makes you avoid having fun in a game. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to get somewhere and get the lunar sword. Ugh. Oh, wow. All right. <laughs> so they skinned certain Mini Coopers... Mm-hmm. And they had the sound of the chocobo, and they were just going around, and they had feathers coming out the back. Oh it was a pretty gosh. good promo, I got to okay. say. All it, right. Yeah. It was a little annoying to hear the chocobo call <laughs> at all right. times. I really wish they put the chocobo music, which is catchy and amazing, but they didn't do that. I will take your word for it. Yeah. If you look it up, okay, you'll, you'll see it. Uh, I learned that there is a board game called Secret Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> so Steve just had to move away from the mic because he was laughing and wheezing. It's so brilliant. They raised one and a half million dollars on oh Kickstarter. Gosh. They were hoping for fifty four thousand. Oh. And okay. let me just read the description on Kickstarter. <laughs> okay. How brilliant is this? Let's do a game called Secret Hitler. Secret Hitler. All right. All right here we go. Secret Hitler is a dramatic game of political intrigue and betrayal set in 1930s Germany. Mm-hmm. Players are secretly divided into two teams, liberals and fascists. Known only to each other, okay, so maybe this is a little bit of werewolf in here. Yeah, okay. The fascists coordinate to sow distrust and install their cold-blooded leader, the Secret Hitler. The liberals must find and stop the Secret Hitler before it's too late. Each round, players elect a president and a chancellor. Okay, so that okay. is similar to Werewolf, where Werewolf you have a mayor mafia. and they're in charge. Right, exactly. Who will work together to enact a law from a random deck. If the government passes a fascist law, players have to figure out if they were betrayed or simply unlucky. Secret <laughs> Hitler is pulling the strings behind this. It's really, it's amazing. Okay, wow. we got to try this one. It's, it's definitely coming out. It's really a thing. Of course it is coming out. They raised $1.5 million. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd be surprised. Some Kickstarters, they don't make it. But this one, I this believe. This game is in. coming out. Yeah, absolutely. Estimated delivery April 2016. So I'm guessing it's going to be in stores here uh, pretty soon. The April art- 2016? You mean 17? Uh, well, it was funded on April. Oh, it was funded. Okay. Yeah, it was funded earlier this year. The delivery of the rewards there is we go. April 2016. So it must be out now. Yeah, I guess so. We really should have put some research into wow. the secret Hitler. Again, we have machines with the world <laughs> information literally at our fingertips. Yeah, but the art looks great. And it's just, I mean, come on. Don't you want to know who the secret Hitler is? <laughs> All right. Moving right of along. Course. Moving right along. The last item on my random notes list mm-hmm. here. Nintendo was almost absent from the expo yep, floor. They sure were. Now, this might be a uh, financial decision. Yeah. You know, Apple pulled out of Macworld Expo. Uh, what? Yeah, Apple say, say pulled out of the Macworld Expo. <laughs> Apple pulled out of Mac... <clears throat> sure. Yeah, I mean, this is happening all the time because they can control their message much better from their own... Yeah, okay. Uh, what do you call it, press conferences and presentations, that it doesn't really benefit them to be at different things. So I'm a Nintendo fanboy from way back, so maybe I'm just being an apologist here. But they had a small booth where they were talking about Pokemon, Sun and Moon, and Mm -hmm. uh, one of the Dragon Quest games. Uh, And Bokai? Bokai something? There's another new new game. But it just may not be worth it to them, honestly, Mm -hmm. to go. And... um, I, we didn't see any Zelda stuff. Nothing. And they're, I mean, they have a game that's and coming. Coming it's out coming very eventually. soon. 
eventually, sometime. They showed some stuff at E3. I don't know. I'm worried for and Nintendo. I love them, and I want them to do well. Of all of I these believe companies, in them, too, though. They go up and down. They, they, yeah. You think they're going to go bankrupt, and then they come out with some crazy thing, and everyone loves it. Yeah. You know? So I'm not worried. Okay. But I'm worried. Uh, wow. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> no, really. I don't know what they're doing, unless it's just a financial decision. Not yeah, to do, I mean, not it could be like when Marvel stopped going to San Diego Comic-Con and people freaked out. And this is recently, this is after phase two of Marvel films. And people were like, oh no, that must mean this and that. No, what it really means is Marvel is owned by Disney and Disney holds their own D3 Expo, which is gigantic. And now Disney has the Star Wars franchise. They have the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They have all of the Disney stuff. So Disney, who has all of the money in the world... Of course, they can go to San Diego Comic-Con. They go to New York Comic-Con. They go to any con they want to. Or they could control their message and be like, no, you're going to come to the Disney con and see everything you want to see. Mm-hmm. So I can understand it, but I do under I do understand what you are saying also being like, it was weird. It's weird to have all of these AAA titles and Nintendo not having a giant banner in the sky being like, Nintendo, right here. Right. I wanted to see Zelda. <laughs> Sorry. I wanted to see Link pulling the Master Sword out of the stone. You know, I wanted oh, to see some. Okay. Yeah. The most amazing prop mm-hmm. on the expo floor was yep. easily the enormous T Rex yes. that you could ride. Mm-hmm. I mean, if... it didn't go anywhere. It's not an animatronic <laughs> T Rex, it's just made out of fiberglass or whatever, you know, but you could sit fiberglass. on top of it. No, what is it made out of? You don't know either. Construction foam. I have no- Okay, yeah, construction foam. So it was there to promote Arc Arc X or something? Arc. Or, uh, is it just Arc? Combat Evolved. No. That's okay. Halo. There was a hashtag Arc on something. Evolved. Bad gamers. Bad. <laughs> okay. But it's called the game is called Arc. And okay. it was a giant T Rex. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. It was pretty spectacular. Yeah. Um yeah, I put a picture up on Twitter and so yeah, check that out. It was it was pretty incredible. They also had a huge orc. Uh, from Warcraft, I think. How many? I think there were 20,000 <laughs> roaring orcs. Okay. Um, yep. There, I only saw one, but I'm pretty sure there were 19,999 <laughs> roaring orcs yeah, okay. in the back. Um, so, yeah, they had a huge one of those. That was really cool. Yep. Uh, and, yeah, so the AAA titles, like, they were big and bold. They yeah. were everywhere. They're there. They look amazing. They're yeah. going to do well. I, it's kind of like, I don't know. You know they're gonna do well. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's gonna be fine, uh, and there's nothing. There's no stakes in a sense. You don't have to cheer for Dishonored Two. It's gonna right. do great. You don't have Which to cheer for great. the Elder Scrolls Online. You know it's gonna be fine. Which looks like a game. <laughs> <laughs> John, not a fan of Morrowind or oh, just Oblivion again. With some of those, I would watch Steve play those, yeah. and I have watched Steve play those. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, cool, can you go up to, can you stab that guy? Please. Uh-huh. And he was like, no, I need to get this herb and I need to read a book in a video game. Uh, anyway, that is a different episode. I would do different... it just to taunt you. Whatever. Okay, a couple other things. I went to the retro arcade there. Yes. Which was put on by Ground Control out of mm-hmm. Portland. A retro barcade, I guess yes. you could call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... What I learned is Missile Command is still my favorite retro game. It's still really hard, but it's still really fun. Mm-hmm. The sound and the feel of it. Yep. Uh, amazing, as you would say. <laughs> right. 
And and that's it for my random. And what notes. was interesting with retro gaming, they had games from the late seventies, which was Pong. Actually, not even late seventies. I was like mid seventies. They had Pong. Everything from the eighties. Now you're talking about the console section. Yes. Different than the stand up arcade section that I was talking about. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So you could go in. You could check out games for the GameCube, for Dreamcast, for the original Atari twenty six hundred, like Pong. So what was interesting is Steve and I go to the retro gaming area and they had that giant mech game which what is the name again i want to say BattleTech. BattleTech, something like that which came out like in the 2000s with its own hardware and that was in their retro gaming but again it was unique it was a game that not many people played unfortunately because you had to buy if you wanted the full experience this giant separate piece of machinery yeah so, but it was, it was cool to go in the retro gaming thing and see all of these games and people from all ages playing these games. Mm-hmm. I saw, you know, like a younger kid and someone else playing like maybe father, son, who knows, but that was really cool. You know, seeing that intergenerational gameplay was, it was awesome. Mech Assault 2002. Mech Assault. 2000. How was that in the retro gaming? <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. Well. But it was everything, there. Everything new is old now. Yeah. And not only was it there, there was a guy specifically working that table being like, all right, guys, this is how you play the game. That was absolutely necessary yes, because 100%. there's so many buttons mm-hmm. and so many levers. And imagine a mech, okay? So yeah. <laughs> you walk in one direction, but you can also turn in Straight. another direction. Yeah, yeah. In Mechasol, you can apparently turn your upper torso so much that you fall over or, or wow. break down. So, you know, I, as I was sitting there watching him describe and coach people through the game, he's like, oh, oh watch your rotation. You're get a war- getting a oh warning. Gosh. So you have to be careful not to fall over. So uh, it's, it's re- it really tried to be a mech simulator, and it mm-hmm. was really cool to see people playing it. I would say so. it was the best mech simulator. Okay. Name another one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So I think now we will talk to... The thing that we were <laughs> the most excited for, uh, and quick shout out to one of our fan favorites here, Jeff Kanata. He has been talking about VR games for a long time. We finally got the chance to play both Vive and Oculus games. Yes. So Steve got the chance to play them a couple different days. So he had the chance to kind of get there first, tell me about it. So I was already excited to play them. Mm-hmm. And then we got to play them together. When the first time you went, Steve, you had to play some tutorials and kind of get to know the game system a lot, right? Kind of. When okay. I went there the day before we played together, mm-hmm. I played the Oculus game Unspoken, mm-hmm. which is essentially a wizard dueling game. Yes. So today, earlier today, we played that against each other. Mm-hmm. So I... Okay, I went in having played the game yes. one more time than you, mm-hmm. and I did have the tutorial. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's, I want to hear your thoughts on it, but let me just describe the game really fast. Yes. You're a wizard fighting another. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you're a wizard fighting another wizard, and you're in sort of a urban decay landscape, and you can teleport from pedestal to pedestal. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing is you're generating fireballs with one hand and throwing them at your opponent yes you have a shield that you can generate with the other hand a shield was i supposed to use that yeah uh, supposed to block stuff uh-huh. oh, that seems weird yeah 
So that's the basic stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you can also summon certain spells Mm -hmm. by doing essentially mini games uh, that are a little bit more powerful or have certain advantages to to attack your opponent. For example, there's one uh, special spell that looks like a hammer and you're Mm -hmm. hitting an anvil. Yep. So you kind of have to hit certain symbols on the anvil uh, while the game is going on, like while the other person could potentially be throwing fireballs at your face. Right. You're vulnerable while you're doing this minigame. But if you successfully hit four or five different symbols on the anvil, now you have a powerful spear spear that Mm -hmm. you can throw. And so you can throw it and it does area damage, something like that. Uh, Do you want to hear my thoughts on it? Do you want to hear my review of it, basically? Or do you want a little more I do. No, no. I I mean, that should be good. And again, with a lot of these AAA games, unlike the indie games where you might not be able to find out a lot of gameplay footage or whatever. Like, with all of these AAA games, they're out there. You can go online right now, look up this game, and read about it, find out about it. So, no, we don't really need to go too much into it. Yeah. So, no, tell me about what you thought about it. I felt like a wizard. Ugh. I really did. <laughs> okay. No, it was, it was really good. Remember, this is VR. So, even mm-hmm. if you're seeing a video online, it's hard to experience True. the yep. real okay. VR. And what I always try to do in these games is look to the left, look to the right, look behind me, mm-hmm. and see the entire space that I'm in. And they have made it an immersive world. They've put so much detail into it. Uh, but besides the graphics and the feeling of being in the world... Mm-hmm. Uh, is the feeling of the gameplay, of course. That's the most important thing to me. The graphics can be great, the sound can be great, but does it feel like you're actually doing the thing? Mm -hmm. And for the most part, yes. In this case, uh, you know, you're you're generating fireball and you're throwing it. Uh, I played a lot of baseball growing up. I know what it (laughs) likes to feel... I know what it likes to throw... I know what it's like to throw a ball. (laughs) Right, yeah. And for the most part, it felt okay. Now, here's the thing. It you have to have a certain release point. So mm-hmm. you're you're holding the button down, you're winding your arm up, and you're throwing the fireball, and then you release the button at the release point yep. that you would for a baseball. And it didn't quite go where I wanted it Not to. Not so much. No, but you have to, it, you know, it wasn't far off. It was only 5 or 10% off of where I expected it, to, expected it to go. But it was pretty darn close. And I think if I played it more, I would understand the correct release point for throwing the fireball or throwing Mm -hmm. the spear or whatever it is and there's a little bit of adaptation that happened to me when i played softball i mean it's a bigger ball so your fingers release at a different point than Mm -hmm. when you're throwing a baseball it just takes a little bit of adaptation absolutely and um i don't know what to say i mean i felt i felt like i was really battling you at the end of the day, did it affect you? It, it made my heart beat faster and it made me care. I mean, I cared about actually throwing this stuff accurately mm-hmm. and doing well in the game. Yeah, and I, I do agree. It was the gameplay mechanics were were fun. Um, again, we had one of the Oculus reps right next to me, especially since he knew Steve had played before. He was next to me, so as I am playing, I can hear him talking to me. being like, oh, Steve put up a shield. You need to do this to get the spear to break the shield. That was kind of cool. And this was Oculus. So two very separate companies that have VR, the biggest VR platforms right now, Vive and Oculus. With this one, I have to say, I felt claustrophobic. It was a dark atmosphere. I felt kind of closed in. It was just, it felt congested and tight. 
So yes, you're jumping from like platform to platform, but it did not have that free motion type of feeling that I still kind of felt like it was a platformer with 3D elements to me. I wouldn't call it a platformer because that usually intend that usually means that you're doing a side scrolling type of oh, mission. Maybe I was thinking but that because I literally jump from platform yeah, to platform. Yeah, exactly. You're teleporting from <laughs> teleporting, platform to yes. platform. But I understand what you're saying. You're not moving around in the world. And that yeah. certainly is the difference between Oculus Rift and HTC Vive. Vive. Yeah. With the Vive, you can move around, as we'll mm-hmm. talk about in a second. But you're right. With Oculus, you're pretty much stationary. You could do yep. it in a chair or you could do it while standing. I mean, you certainly could walk around, but it wouldn't, it <laughs> it would not wouldn't recognize <laughs> you, that you're doing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, did you have fun, though? Did I did. It feel, no, I definitely did it, had fun. Did you fun. feel like you were doing the thing? I did, and I really wanted to win, uh, as always. Um, and what was weird is, like, whenever I would hit Steve with a fireball, which was incredibly satisfying, uh, things that I've wanted to do in real life sometimes, uh, and I would see his little life meter kind of go from green to red to red, I had no idea where my life meter was. And I'm not sure if there was one on my side. So that was difficult to know where I stood. Like if I'm battling someone, I want to know where my health is. So I know how much I have left in the tank. How much risk you can take. Exactly. Should you be out in the open? Should you be behind one of the barriers? That kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that is a challenge for VR creators because you can't have a heads up display really. You can't have a little number in the corner. That would take you out of the experience. Unless you are in some okay. sort of sci-fi helmet where it makes sense that Ooh. you have it there. Yeah. But if you're a wizard and there's a number in the corner, as you're looking around, <laughs> does the number move with you? It just doesn't really... Did you not see that Harry Potter simulation? Because they had that. <laughs> yeah. So you're right. They need to figure out where it makes sense in a case-by-case basis. But I agree you need to have something. Whether yes. you're looking at your exactly. watch, essentially, and you have your... If I could, there. yeah, if I could with the left trigger, which is the spell trigger, if I could with my left trigger pull up my spell book, that would be an opportunity for them to put in a heart meter or a bar for your health. And they could do it a different way. Like it could have writing in the book kind of fading and that could be your health. They could do it. I'm not sure why they did not already, but at the same time, this, these games are there. They're out there. It was fun. It still might be... A little bit of polish is all I'm saying. Yeah. It makes me hopeful for the other games. I mean, yes, it makes me want to buy it more than not. You know what I mean? Like okay. it, it pushes yeah. me more towards, you know, this is something you could own in the future and have a lot of fun with, have people over and, and do it. Uh, I wonder though, if it's still in the Wii sports category, meaning, mm. you know, it was fun to do bowling for a while on Wii sports. Yep. It was fun to play tennis, but you know, you're not going to come home and just do it for put on for your, fun. Put on you your know, polyester you party shirt or something. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Is it a novelty at this stage? I, th- I, maybe I, I think yeah. the jury's out. I think mm-hmm. the jury's out, but, uh, it makes me hopeful for the direction it's going in. Cause I felt like I was doing the thing and it affected me. Okay. So with the vibe, we got the chance to play three different games and I wrote them down. Let <laughs> me figure out where I wrote them down. <laughs> Uh, here we go. So we played Racket and X, which was kind of a, well, not kind of, it was a three-dimensional racquetball simulation, uh, futuristic racquetball simulation. We played Fruit Ninja, which is a fan favorite and has been for a long time. And then we played Serious Sam, which is a shooter. So with these games, the big, big difference for me, because we got to play the Vive first. 
So maybe I was a little bit biased from the beginning since this was my first VR experience. And then I went to Oculus. The Vive was bright. It was colorful. Everything was sharp in detail. That was not what I felt like with Oculus. So, Are you sure it wasn't just the games we played? Because the Wizard one was dark by, design. by design. Yeah, which I understand that. But I guess because, again, I played the Vive first. And I got to experience all of the bright colors, all of the bright shapes. Then to go into the Oculus where it was dark. It was this post-apocalyptic urban atmosphere. Maybe that was why it felt so tight and congested. Because in the Vive, when you looked around, like Steve talked about, when you looked up, when you looked down, the world was deep. Like it was a huge world, even though you were relatively stationary. So that was really cool. The serious Sam was nice because you had so you have your dual dual wielding either a pistol or a laser type gun, laser pulse rifle, and enemies. It is just waves of enemies coming at you. That game was awesome because, again, you're shooting things. You have your whole peripheral vision where things are going on. You have to pay attention to that. Fireballs are coming at you. It immediately hooked me in. All of the, all of the Vive games from the beginning to the end had me hooked. The Oculus with, un, I almost said Uncharted. That would be an awesome VR experience, but not Uncharted. Uh, unspoken. It took me a while to kind of be like, okay, this is the space. This is what I'm doing. So it was just, it was different. They're very different companies, very different gameplay modules. Uh, Fruit Ninja, I had a blast. I had not played that on my phone in a really long time. You actually had to stand there, dual wield katanas. It was awesome. That was my vibe experience. What was yours? I really wish with the Oculus they had let you play the tutorial, which I was able to play yeah. the other day. But I guess for time, they, yeah. they, they just explain the game to you rather than doing the tutorial of the mm-hmm. Wizard Duel. Because you may have had a better time. Well, okay, so that aside, with Vive, I have to totally agree that Fruit Ninja is a perfect fit for yes, VR. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's just a silly, fun, you know, you feel like you're cutting fruit in the absolutely. air. Absolutely. I didn't know I always wanted to do that, but I, I did do that. Yeah. Always. <laughs> and then uh, the racquetball game. Mm hmm. I uh, played a lot of tennis growing up, and mm-hmm. it feels like tennis. I mean, yep. what more can you say than it feels like the real thing? You know what I mean? It exactly. feels like you're doing the real thing. And uh, with Vive, you can walk, ar- you know, walk around to a Relative. small degree, yeah, yeah. and you can turn around because uh, it's not just racquetball ahead of you. It's racquetball on all sides of you Absolutely. in a dome. And you're trying to hit certain green panels on the walls. And uh, it behaved like you expected it to behave. Mm-hmm. With anything like this, it's magic if you don't notice it. You know what I mean? Yep. It happens just like you expect it to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing, right? Because that took a lot of engineering. Uh, but if it doesn't work like you want it to work, it you, got, you start to see the cracks and you start to go, eh, there's something wrong here and this is not quite yep. what I expected it. So the racquetball worked like I expected it to work and I could see myself playing a lot of that one. Uh, are you sure it was serious, Sam? Was it Serious Sam I branded? So. Really? Okay. Yeah, I think well, so. Anyway, so the shooter in the Egyptian uh, world, I liked it pretty well, but the controllers don't feel like guns. True. My wrists were True. a little, they felt they they hurt a little bit afterwards Aww. because it wasn't quite, er, it wasn't ergonomically like a gun and it wasn't like a, uh, a normal Xbox controller or something like that. True. So um, I had trouble 
aiming them in the same way that you would just normally aim a gun. Okay. Uh, but I have to say there are enemies in those waves that are coming at you that are sort of skittering. Yes. Um, what what's the starship troopers types of yes uh, ones. you know they're about knee high and they come skittering up and in, in big waves and you've got to shoot them when they got close mm-hmm. it was freaky yeah i was like this thing is about to get me mm-hmm. some part of my lizard brain said oh my god get <laughs> butterfly yeah exactly and to some degree the same thing happened when a fireball came in yep. pretty close and i hadn't shot it out of the air yet it's basically a shooting gallery mm-hmm. and it's a demo. I mean, I see where they're going with it. That was, I guess I could say the least impressive of the three, but still yeah. pretty good. It was my number three. Like when oh, I, had to, yeah. when I had yeah. to rank them kind of, a, you know, from most enjoyable, most excited to play again. Sierra Sam was number three, but it was still incredibly enjoyable. It's kind of a proof, proof of concept. Yeah. This is where it could go. You know, you're going to be able to walk around the world and, and this is what a shooter would feel like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I appreciated it for what it was, and um, I'm hopeful for the future of VR. Mm-hmm. I the think, thing, yeah, yeah no, it's hard not to cut it but that's the thing about like Racket NX, that is the closest thing we will get to a holodeck in a long time. There were times when I am playing this game, and I had flashbacks of watching Star Trek: Deep Space Nine and Doctor Julian Bashir and Chief O'Brien playing racquetball in the holodeck. Because I just, again, I looked around, looked to my right, left, up, down, and I was fully immersed. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a real, functional, virtual 3D world that I was in. I was ready. Yeah. I would say it's the closest to a holodeck yet. Yes. I think we're going to get even closer. I think it's going to be it's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. And we did not get a chance to play... The there was a game World War Tunes, which actually has like the little trackpad thing that you can walk on and everything. So maybe you know we would have a different experience if we tried that. But from the Vive, like I I cannot wait to at some point get a Vive and play those games. Yeah, like I I am in it. We have come so far in virtual oh reality. Yeah. I remember going to Incredible Universe in what? probably <laughs> nineteen ninety five or okay. nineteen ninety six. You know what Fry's is. I mean, it's a okay. massive. Oh, okay. It was a massive electronics store okay. that also tried to introduce some entertainment. And hmm. VR back in the day oh, gosh. was a polygon world <laughs> yeah. where you had a pterodactyl flying around, and you weren't quite sure what to do. Mm-hmm. And you, maybe you'd shoot it, and you'd turn. You know, um, it wasn't ready then. I no. think we're we're getting to the point with processors now where it's it's much more ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's interesting just to st- stand there. Uh, while you're waiting for the game to start Mm -hmm. and you're just sort of looking through the glasses and you can see the pixels. I mean, you can see where, you know, it's not HD in a way. Right. Uh, You can see the The technology. The pixel thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You can see the technology. Yep. But obviously, Moore's Blah being what it is, we're eventually going to get to the point where you don't see those little things. And while I was playing the game, I didn't care that you mm-hmm. get, you, you, know, you just don't notice it. You're yep. so focused on what you're doing that you don't see that little things. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's going to be fantastic. I think the biggest thing with, with VR right now is that technology is starting to match the ambition of these game players mm-hmm. or of the game developers. Every now and then, whether it is in film or whatever, when James Cameron wanted to make avatar the movie he was like cool i want the cameras to do this and they're like we they they can't do that we don't have a camera that does that and he was like okay what do we need so he built the red cameras which has now have now become like the standard 
cameras. Like he had to build it. So now with VR, the technology is starting to match the ambition of the developers. And oh man, are we in for some amazing gameplay over the next decade? I agree. Like it, yeah, it's going to be incredible. Do you want to hear about a couple of the panels I went to at PAX? Yeah, sure. Because again, I'll go real fast. Yeah, I know we're ahead. running short on time. Ah, who cares? Ah, okay. So <laughs> this is a podcast. Like there, there are no rules. Oh yeah, we're not in a recording studio. That's right. A real that's one. Right. <laughs> All right, so I'll start with the Friday the 13th, the game panel I went to. Right. And there was a special guest, Tom Savini, who was the makeup guy okay. on Friday the 13th, 1 and 4. Interesting. And he also directed break. one of the Dawn of the Dead or Return of, Return of the Dead. Right, right. Remakes. Night of the Living Dead, I think. Exactly. And Adam Sessler was there. He's sort of the <sighs> mouthpiece for this project. I miss that guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. So... The Friday the 13th game is mm-hmm. an asymmetrical multiplayer game. So imagine you're playing with five people total. Mm-hmm. One person is Jason. The okay. other four are campers. The campers are running around trying to get parts for the boat or get parts for the, the car. generator or something. Oh, no, no that was a different game. Quite. Okay. Different game. Uh, they're trying to get parts for the car, get parts for the boat. They're trying to escape Camp Crystal Lake. They apparently can also kill Jason. But it's extremely difficult, right? Jason is walking around trying to find the campers. I'm guessing he walks pretty slow because that's how Jason walks. Right. Uh, Now, what we saw in the panel was a lot of the classic kills. So Mm -hmm. slasher films of the time, and especially the Friday the 13th movies, were famous for their creative kills. And so we saw a (laughs) lot of those. And we saw the motion capture where they got Kane Hodder, who is... Mm. uh, for horror movie fans, the Jason. Uh, oh, he yeah, came yeah. in in some of the later ones. You okay. know, he's seven feet tall and he's got the acting chops to really make Jason terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they got him to do the motion capture for it. And uh, again, they focused a lot on the kills in the thing. We <laughs> right. didn't see any gameplay, which kind of worries me. I'd, I'd really like mm. to see them do it. Maybe it's online. I'm not sure, but um, they I want to see how it plays. Right. Uh, but I really love this concept of the asymmetrical multiplayer game. Because we did get game. a chance. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was did... just going to mention, yeah, okay. Dead by Daylight is right. another game that we saw on the expo floor. Pretty much the same concept. One person is the serial killer. Maybe it's a ghost. Maybe it's a mm-hmm. maniac. And they all have special abilities. Hunting down the various campers that are trying to start the generators and, I don't know, turn on the lights. <laughs> right. <laughs> but anyway, get out and, and stop the serial killer. Uh, so that's a, an interesting trend in mm-hmm. multiplayer gaming. I think it is. Yeah, I think it is unique. And when we were at that booth for Dead by Daylight, terrifying. So they have a guy in full costume of the killer. Right, I guess this guy is like six ten, huge. Walked really slowly. Yeah, like he as did pe- everything slow. As people yeah. are playing the game, like, and he's just walking around the area. It was creepy. It was unnerving. So, again, that is how you sell a game like this. Mm-hmm. When you kind of, because watching it, I was a little confused at first because I was not really sure what it was. Steve, of course, explained it because he got to see the panel and know what it was about. But this type of gameplay is going to be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep. Another panel I went to was promoting your board game. I have a board uh-huh. game I'm working on. Yes. So I wanted to get some tips. And they had experts from Kickstarter and oh, from nice. Cards Against Humanity. Got a lot of fantastic tips. Uh, crowdfunding tips on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So this is another panel I went to. Crowdfunding tips for Kickstarter and Fig, which is a oh yeah yeah the video game Fig. specific one where one uh, game gets featured for a while. 
you can invest in a game basically right, instead right. of contributing to it and hoping for the best like with kickstarter you're essentially buying shares in the game and you become an investor yeah gotcha and of course patreon which, right yep, yep fantastic uh my favorite panel though was the room escape panel or escape room panel <laughs> I, like, I should say <laughs> right i was like which one was <laughs> uh, room escape escape room puzzle room it mm-hmm. goes by many names but we talked about it on a previous yes. episode uh, so they had a panel of people. Actually, that episode has not come out yet. No, no, no. We're in the future for that episode. <laughs> Just kidding, kids. Mm-hmm. There you go. So um, the Room Escape panel included a bunch of different folks. Uh, there was a couple from an Orlando escape room that they run, and they provided a different uh, perspective than a lot of the ones that I've been to okay. where it's more theatrical. They have an actor nice. in the room who's you know, acting and, and providing a sense of theater mm-hmm. to your escape room experience also they have some reversible rooms so imagine interesting imagine that you have a superhero's apartment done and <laughs> you are a minion or a henchman for a supervillain. okay so the superhero is gone you're the jarvis you're the minion you go in there and you need to find that superhero's secrets okay so oh, that's nice. one escape room now economics they can use the same room mm-hmm. the superheroes apartment they change out all the puzzles but they don't have to do a completely new set design this time you're the police investigating that room after the henchman's been there looking for signs of who the henchman was and who they're working for oh wow and th- so that you can take a completely different take really okay yeah i like it another twist on that using the same room in a different way is uh you instead of trying to escape the room, mm-hmm. you're trying to get points or gems or solve puzzles to, uh, yeah, get points basically. Okay. And you're setting a high score. It's kind of a video game experience, like but in a live escape room. There's a company here in Seattle called Epic Team Adventures that is doing this. We should definitely try it because I'm I'm curious about this yeah, concept. I'm down. Uh, they also talked about the variety of experiences over in Europe and in other countries. They tend to like smaller groups where you have a more uh, intimate focused experience. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, in the United States, there tends to be larger groups, which can be a little more chaotic right. and you, you're not involved in every solution. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and this has been my experiences. If you have a room that's pretty large, it's hard to feel like you got all the value for your money right. sometime, you know, mm-hmm. You have a couple or three or four people that solved a piece of it, and you go, "Oh, that seemed like a really interesting piece. I wish I had happened you had no to idea choose to yeah. work on that one, but I didn't." So, um, yeah, different different experiences. Uh, there is a, a a married couple that reviews hmm. uh, escape rooms, and the what website is roomescapeartist.com. dot com. Mm-hmm. Roomescapeartist.com. So it's a blog. They've apparently done over 175 rooms Sheesh. all over the world. Uh, one of the ones they went to was in Amsterdam. <laughs> and it started in a parking garage. And they mm. got hoods put over their heads. Oh, nope. And nope, they nope. got Mm-mm. locked in a room. And they had to hack a panel to bring a dumbwaiter down to open the door and stuff. So not there's happening. a really <laughs> so a not big happening. variety. Yeah, I know. In some of these, you have to trust Oh, your yeah. Person. So go to a foreign country, <laughs> get kidnapped, and play a game. Man, you have lost your mind. And I heard Mm-mm. from somebody that there was a saw escape room not gonna happen <laughs> nope Mm-mm. have you have you seen the first saw okay. yes of course the only good one was yeah the only good saw <laughs> so they lock you 
God. Nope. <laughs> they handcuff you to a pipe Mm-mm. in a room, and you only have access to the things that you can reach. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so not down. With I wish you guys could see the look on and John's again, face right now. <laughs> I will respect the creator and do all of that, but yeah. I am not playing that game. Yeah. But my point is, there's a lot of different ways to yes. do an escape room. Of course. And I want to dive into as many as I can. Yeah. Uh, because they're fun. Yeah. Okay. Oh, geez, John. That's that's packs for you, man. That's, yeah. that's That's it. I hope your listeners play this at half speed because i feel like i've been talking a mile a minute i think you mean double speed not half speed half speed would make it last longer well yeah they would have to make it last longer to understand what i'm saying because i feel like i'm a micro machines man over here but that is the thing like so with packs kind of overall impressions steve went there four days i went there one day it is massive it is so so big and trying to think of going to everything is stressful it really is. You kind of just have to go there recognizing you might not see everything, but just have fun. Go there, experience it. Maybe, I mean, you can, they had an app this year, PAX did, which had all of the panels listed and you could check it and it made your calendar kind of for you. That was really cool. So yeah, just take some notes before you go and be like, cool, I want to see this, this, this. If you see anything else in the meantime, which you will, of course, check it out. But honestly, it, I could very much see how this could be a stressful experience for someone being like, I miss that. Oh, man, it is going to happen. It is going to happen. But just have fun. So and that kind of leads me to kind of one of our wrap up questions is, did you have fun? Would you play the game again? So Steve, of course, I mean, Steve goes every year. So that is a silly question, rhetorical question. But did you have fun this year? I definitely did. Yeah. PAX has so much that Mm -hmm. if you can't find something you're interested in, uh, it's not for you. But I always find something that I'm interested in and uh, things I didn't know I would be into that I am into. Absolutely. And and this was my first PAX. I've lived here for a while. This is my first PAX. It was a great experience. But again, it was huge. I know I missed out on some stuff that I bet is really great. But that is okay. It will be here next year. Uh. And then, yeah, the games that we talked about, we're excited to play these again, which leads me to the, the big thing, the All best right. in show. Mm-hmm. So Steve and I are each going to give a best in show for six, the Seattle Indie Expo, and for PAX, the Penny Arcade Expo. No pressure, Steve. You're going first with your best in show for six. For six, it has to be Bring Your Own Book. It's such a clever game, such a flexible game. That was lovingly created, mm-hmm. well-written, well-designed. Yep. Uh, find it. Bring your own book. Yeah. So my best in show is a small little game, little indie developer called Bring Your Own Book. Yeah. So th- again, the thing that, the, how I determined the best in show was when I left the expo, the game that I kept talking about, the game that I was like, I want to play this game. We should have people over. We should do this. Like that to me is a huge success. Mm-hmm. So that undeniably for both of us gets our best in show for Seattle Indie Expo. Now, it, Matthew's well, a friend of mine, but I think it would be anyway, honestly. It's... This game was tremendous. Even before I interviewed Matthew, even before I knew Steve knew Matthew, this was the game that, again, I was still thinking about during the expo. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely best in show. Steve, PAX, best in show, go. VR. Just VR as a whole, honestly. Boo. No, well, (laughs) 
because of the amount of uh, work that has to go into mm-hmm. it and the fact that it's something that didn't exist well before <laughs> I was gonna say. the past couple of years. Yeah, agreed. Totally. It's um it's near. <laughs> yes. It's uh we're not too far off of Ready Player One. I don't know. Have you read that book yet? Ready no, but Player they're making One. a movie too. Yeah, yeah. Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Um, where you're basically in that world. Okay, so imagine uh, Second Life, but good. <laughs> okay. Yep. And in the VR world. Mm-hmm. And then within that world, you can go off and play other games. Um, yeah. I think that uh is coming now that that doesn't always turn out well for the people in the book but uh here's (laughs) the thing vr is going to be a good entertainment option for Mm -hmm. everybody and uh i really like where it's going i think it uh is is ready it's here it's coming yeah one of the only negatives and i do say one of the only negatives with vr is for some stupid reason i decided to wear my glasses today and not my contacts that was dumb. It's trying to fit the VR uh, casing, I guess, over your eyes with glasses can be difficult. So I think that is also going to take certain people away from the gameplay. Mm-hmm. Because even if they get this for their home, which, again, might be a little bit down the road for mm-hmm. a lot of people, a lot of people wear glasses. Mm-hmm. And if they do not have contacts as an option and they only have glasses, it could be a little uncomfortable. Can we just do a quick sidebar here? Yeah. The comfortability of mm-hmm. both. Did you notice one versus the other being more comfortable? Did one mm. get hot in the 10 or 15 minutes you were there? Um, you know, the Velcro system. Mm-hmm. How was each for you? And also the yeah. controller ergonomics. The first thing that both of these did, sweaty, is the first word that comes to my head. Because, again, you have something pressed against your face for a while. So it was interesting with Vive. They have a... Uh, an eye setup piece that goes on your face and then headphones. Whereas with the Oculus, the headphones were built in. They, they kind of swung down a little bit. It was an interesting design. It was way more immersive with Vive. When you have headphones, noise canceling headphones for the most part, I mean, you could still hear the producer kind of talking to you. It was more immersive. I think with the headphones and the little headphones that came down with the Oculus. Mm-hmm. So comfortability was good. I I will put a little bit on myself for the glasses, Mm -hmm. but that is a concern. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people wear glasses. So, yeah, I found both of them to be comfortable. They both, they they both fit to your face with Velcro. So you'd pull Velcro on each of the straps to Mm -hmm. get it on there. With the Oculus, there was a little bit of light bleed. Oh, okay. Meaning I could see the show oh, floor yeah, yeah. a tiny, tiny bit yep. around my nose. So if I was to look down, there's a little bit of light coming in. Uh, so I don't know if that's just my face <laughs> or if that's the Oculus. I mean, Steve has many problems with but, his face. But, you know. but I didn't notice that with the Vive. Yes, agreed. Um, so that would be the main difference. Uh, ergonomically, the controllers for the Oculus I didn't have a problem with. Once I learn where the buttons are and Mm -hmm. don't have to think about it, it's not a problem at all. As I mentioned previously, with the Vive in the shooting world, I had a little bit of trouble with it. But otherwise, it felt smooth as silk and it tracked perfectly. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Personally, 
I liked the Vibes setup better. It was more immersive. It was more, it was presented in a way that me, being a huge Star Trek fan, I was in the holodeck. From the beginning, I was in the holodeck, looking at my hands with the Vive, felt more natural. Like, it was, yeah, I was, I was in that world way more than I was in the Oculus world. And by the way, there is a Star Trek bridge game there where is. you can be <laughs> Kirk or Picard or Uhura or mm-hmm. yeah. Sulu, and you're on the bridge of the... And it's Star Trek branded, right? We saw yeah. a little bit of it through a window. Mm-hmm. We weren't able to get into it because the show floor opens at 10, yeah. and all the tickets for the Star Trek gone. bridge VR are gone by 10.03. <laughs> So uh, maybe next year, John, maybe next year. But you're excited for that, aren't you? Absolutely. And that is the thing. So we're not going to do, as we have not been doing this whole thing, is rating things with the best rating system on any podcast ever, the good, bad, and ugly. Instead, we're just going to say, like, this whole experience, this weekend with the Seattle Indie Expo and with PAX was good. It was awesome. And again, I cannot wait for next year to see the different games, maybe even to see the same games but are now more polished, like Steve and I have both said, because some of these games, they were really fun. They needed that one extra thing. So next year, they might be back with two more things, yeah. and they will blow us away. Yeah. I got to say, sometimes I'm a little bit sad when I see the same <laughs> indie game in the same space year okay. after year, and it looks roughly the same. I mean, I'm sure a lot's gone on. Mm-hmm. but Absolutely. Uh, well, because maybe it was demo then, and now they are actually on the consoles. Yeah. That could be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see Spy Party every year. Great I have no game. idea what that is. Okay, well, we'll, we'll leave that for another podcast. <laughs> we'll do that on another episode. But uh, each year, it, it's incrementally better. Okay. And uh, I'm just waiting for it to come out on the system that I have. There anyway, you go. We'll leave that on the side. Fantastic. All right, so there was our massive Seattle Indie Expo and Penny Arcade Expo breakdown. You should list all the games that we just talked about. I should. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I have been your host, that guy named John, and I have been joined by Steve on this crazy adventure. Uh, Steve, where can people find you so that they can follow you? And because you like to talk about games, you play a bunch of games, you travel a lot. Where can people find you on social media to track you down? They can find me on my website, standinsidemedia.com, where mm-hmm. they can see samples of the videos I've done all over the world. Mm-hmm. They can find me on Instagram as at standinside. Mm-hmm. Or on Twitter, where I occasionally tweet. <laughs> occasionally. At Steve Blog. You know you can cross-post, right? I'm aware. Okay, just checking. <laughs> I'm, aware. Just check. I'm aware. Excellent. So there you go. Okay. Instagram. I- I'm really proud of my Instagram feed. Yes. So, yeah. His, his, Instagram is, his Instagram is great. check out my videos on my website. Yeah, why not? Fantastic. And as for this podcast, you can find About to Review on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at About to Review. Thanks for having me, John. Yeah, of course. You can also stream the episode episodes on the website, abouttreeview.com. Uh, we, and by we, I mean, I really love to go on iTunes and see some new ratings. So if you want to go on there, put up five stars. That would be fantastic. I will give you a shout out on a future episode. On the next episode, we'll find out if John is the secret Hitler. We just might. <laughs> so, Or is Steve a werewolf? 
Um, one of those I really hope is true. <laughs> no, not I'm not both. going to say that. Hopefully not both. <laughs> that would be terrible. Excellent. So I've been your host, that guy named John. John. Wow. That guy named John. <laughs> and I've been joined by Steve. We will see you next time. Thank you.